with the first pick in the DA draft. Welcome to With the First Pick Podcast. Joined again here tonight by Jose and Taylor. I'll be honest, I was a little worried that this podcast, we wouldn't be doing it anymore. <laughs> Taylor w- was close to quitting if uh, the Rockets would have lost in the first round. I don't think he would have uh, been able to come on and, or even return to the podcast. But Taylor, you guys did it. Harding came up big. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Game seven. I was writing my letter of resignation to the podcast. <laughs> I was typing it up. I was ready to send it out to you guys like the coward I am just to say I can't do this anymore. I can't take you know, I'm getting off the grid forever. So I'm doing okay. It was a fun game. It was definitely stressful near the end. And the Rockets had been 0-3, you know, close games with the Thunder. So I think the expectation was they might lose. <laughs> they were probably going to lose. Yeah. So it was nice to see, you know, Tucker hit a big shot. Harden have a great defensive play. And then some, you know, a 30-minute you know, one and a half second, <laughs> you know, extravaganza there and have them pull it out. So it's nice to get the win. So that way you guys can gloat when the Lakers, you know, maybe they beat the Rockets here coming up soon. And, and you did say this. I, I want to kind of capture this. We, we were texting back and forth about recording tonight. And you're like, I don't know if I can record tonight if we lose. It's not just losing a game. It's not just losing a series. This would be the end of an era. Like, can you give us a little bit of like, what, what were you thinking with that? Yeah, I mean, like, what are the Rockets going to do? I mean, if they lost, like, is it just get a new coach and a new GM and run it back? I mean, they don't have picks. You know, this is the team, right? And so you want to see what they can do. And if they lose, you know, hopefully they can run it back next year and maybe add a piece or two and then maybe get hot at the right moments, right? You know, maybe some other, you know, teams, they maybe fall apart or they go to another team or injuries or whatnot. They get lucky, right? But, I mean, look, the Warriors, they, they look like they might come back next year. So the Rockets don't have this excuse this year. <laughs> and, I mean, they were the better team. I mean, they, they had, should have won at least five or six of these games. And they just couldn't execute inbound pass, defense, you name it, right? So I was just thinking, like, man, like, what are they going to do next? And I just didn't want to have to process, like, if they're going to do a rebuild, maybe the owner says something like, hey, I'm not getting close to the tax, you know, Harden and Westbrook, yeah. they can't do it. You do, have a, you, you do have an owner who has his success through restaurants and they're not doing too <laughs> well right now. So. Yeah, it's, it's a won't. rough time for that billionaire right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, he won't. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he got the contract what, to bring food into the bubble. This could be there. But look, guys, I, mean, I really need help here. <laughs> he's he's known as not as being somewhat of a he's cheap owner, cheap, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, I think. Like, I mean, you guys, you guys went all in to, to get Westbrook and even to get Covington. So. I mean, and they look at times they look great. So yeah, they stepped it up today, and um, it's a good thing when Lou Dort is okay seeing score. You know, <laughs> so uh, that's good for you guys, even though he scored thirty. I, I, I <laughs> he's unbelievable. Dort dropping yeah. all those buckets today. But <laughs> I, I, I was legit worried for you. I was legit worried. I, I think what scared me the most, and, and I said this to you, is just like if if Harden doesn't do this, just you wouldn't be able to like turn on TV. It would just be like <laughs> all the talking had to be talking about this for weeks. Yeah. And they would even on right. the off season. It would be going on and, and people. T- yeah. Even tonight he had like the bad game, right? It wasn't even like yeah. he had like a great game and his teammates let him down like Gordon and Covington and green. They're all fantastic. Right. And he had no, even Westbrook had some great plays and great moments. He had no excuses and he was still four for 15 and he just, but, 
he had bad, the honest looking shots. <laughs> yeah, no, he changed the narrative, right? He had that maybe the greatest. How, how did how did you feel? How did you feel when you saw that? Can you can you tell us <laughs> what oh, was your yeah. reaction? That was my first like moment where well, I thought we had one, right? Because there was like point five. Yeah. So I was like, man, like this is like you know I finally let out a little bit of relief, like emotion there. I was like, yes, we did it here. Um, and then I was like, wait a minute. They put on like these seconds, and so I, I told you guys I turned the TV off. Just, <laughs> whatever happens, happens. You know, Covington missed the free throw. Like, <laughs> oh boy, here we go. And you know, the Rockets had two buzzer beater threes this year. Once against the Jazz, and once against the Kings. They had Lillard hit that shot to send him home a couple of years back in Portland. So it's not like the Rockets haven't had it happen to him recently or in the past in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. part of me was like, you know, this is just the perfect way, right? The Rockets think they win euphoria and then yeah. all of a sudden like wait a minute and then paul hits that three. Oh my gosh like that was the worst especially to lose to cp3 my goodness yeah. Thank- thankfully like their guards are not really great at getting space when defenders are on them and they need the actual dribble so that's actually what you guys had going for you so and sga is the inbound passer passing it to steven adams what a terrible, what a terrible end <laughs> yeah. to OKC's season. I'll say, oh, like, yes. OKC definitely didn't help themselves at the end there. Yeah, it's fun. You know, there's nothing better than, like, when you're just, like, hoping that shot doesn't go in and then they turn it over. Oh, it's, like, the best. You're just like, okay, we don't have to worry about, like, those couple seconds when the ball's in there. So is James Harden going to come out with a statement saying, uh, you know, some guys are built for this moment? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think he was he, – he hasn't shown it. He, he has to wait until he, until he has a good game <laughs> in, like, a closeout game or, like, an elimination game. Uh, he's had a few, but not not this series. He was not he was not great. He wasn't bad, but tonight he was, he was pretty bad, and he had some good defensive moments. That little flop sequence was hilarious where, like, eight guys flopped. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty fun. Yeah. So, yeah. You guys made it. It, it was a rough day today, Taylor. I, well, I, I, look, it's a rough day for Scott Foster. You know, he tried to go for eight in a row. He tried to do like, his best. You know, he's like, you mean I can't screw both Chris Paul and like I have to help one of them? What is this? Look, he tried to take the Rockets out. He just came up short, and so I hope he's doing all right. And it, it was a rough Mark Davis day too. The, yeah, Mark the, Davis. The ref, Mark the, Davis. the ref for the the Bucks game. <laughs> All right. Well, let's actually. So yeah, Taylor. You know, good job for today. Sticking through it. Uh, I'm glad we get to face you. And now <laughs> I did nothing. You don't have to judge me. Like, I was, you know, I was weak today. I was just as bad as Harden and my team watching. So I'm a coward for even thinking about not going to podcast with you guys tonight. Thanks for being here. We appreciate it. So let's let's actually talk about the Eastern Conference because today's going to be you know really primarily covering the West now that the semifinals are set. But we do want to talk about the East because there are some unprecedented sort of things that, that usually don't happening happening in the series matchups in the East. Fellas, we look we look wrong in our predictions right now. The one and two seed, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Toronto Raptors, are both down 0-2 to the Boston Celtics and to the Miami Heat. Let's let's talk about the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks first. That that's what's fresh in our mind. What did you all make of the game today? What have you made of the series so far? So I'm going to let Taylor calm down a bit, you know, since he uh, <laughs> got, got, got his rocket stuff in. From our last podcast when we talked about this, it seemed like we all wanted to pick Miami. I yeah. think we had him in seven, but we all just chickened out <laughs> and yeah, we chose did. Milwaukee. But they've just seemed like the better team. Like it, I think they've won the most quarters, too. Like they've, they've pretty much had the lead in both of these games. And um, they just had great play from a bunch of their players. And it's not like uh, it's a one-man team with Jimmy Butler, even just with Jimmy Butler and Bam, but you're getting contributions from 
Dragic and you're getting contributions from Tyler Hero. And today it was like Kelly Olynyk was shooting. And they have a lot of like options as far as like um, nuances to their offense that I think that are that are better than Milwaukee's. And at times when when the Milwaukee Bucks shooters are not shooting well and Giannis is having to go down a hill and being defended by great defenders, it feels like he seems kind of mediocre at times. You know, like the stats are still are still great, but I mean. He's not finishing well. He's not creating for others well. He's getting a lot of charges. He's he's been in foul trouble. I think these past two games. So, yeah, it's been really interesting. There's just a lot of guys in Miami can throw on uh, Milwaukee and Middleton. His stat line was a little bit better, but then he had he he wasn't playing well in the first half today too. So it's tough when you're not getting contributions from other people. I agree with you, Jose. I think we we talked about this, you know, in the in the preview, but we we all really felt concerned for the bucks and we all felt really confident in the heat and their ability to and we talked about this like it wouldn't surprise us if we did it we're all cowards because we, we didn't pick the heat but i think when you heard us it was weird because a lot of what we talked about is actually what's happening before us and i think today the way that Giannis got that foul called on him you know one of the things i said in the last pod is this is going to be like a mental thing for them from that for them to be up 2-0 last year and now they're down 0-2 to a team I just feel like Miami's already in their head. Like you can just see the different level of confidence that is there, the body language, but, but the, between both teams. And even earlier today, I, I was texting our, our our group, and I was just like, "Man, Giannis is too passive to be the guy to be the reigning MVP." You all already in a hole. Like, what's going on? You had like Brooke Lopez taking threes. You had Middleton, you know, taking more charge of that offense. You know, and, and it's not to mention, you know, even the comment, he's like, you know, why would I guard Jimmy Butler? And even today, you know, for Jimmy Butler to not score that much, but for Miami to still kind of comfortably, you know, win the game. Well, I mean, uh, not comfortably. I mean, not comfortably, but. I know what you mean, yeah. They, they like, ball. to me, yeah. they were like in control of that game. Yeah, totally. You know, like it was always the Bucks playing from behind. And Taylor, you've talked about this. The, the Bucks team is terrible when they're coming from behind. You know, they're only good it. when they're in control. Yeah, they're not and, used to it. Yeah, they haven't yeah. done it a lot. And Miami is, like, I felt like Miami has been in control of this series the whole time, even today when it was close, and with Jimmy Butler having a terrible game, like, they were still in control yeah. of the game, and so you know, I'm, I'm not you know, liking the Bucks right now. You know, like, a good football team that, like, that runs the ball well, plays really good defense, and then they go down, like, 21 nothing, and they're just like, oh, man, like, this isn't how we play? The Bucks are yeah. kind of like that, right? Like, yeah. Like, if they get down, one thing I will say, though, I was a little bit encouraged, sort of near that second quarter, Second half, I thought the Bucks defense started to get a little bit better. Yeah. Um, because you know, Dragic he got hot. He started like what four for four, five for five, and they just can't get down like that. But I saw a little bit more where I'm like, okay, they can defend a little bit, and I think that'll carry over into game three or four, where I'm not as concerned that the Bucks won't bounce back. Like I don't think they'll get swept. I actually feel like feel pretty comfortable or confident to say I think they'll win game three, and I think I've seen enough. And Giannis was pretty good in the fourth quarter near the end. I felt like he started to, you know, take over a little bit where yeah, I'm yeah. hoping that'll carry over. I don't know if hoping is the right word, but you know, <laughs> I don't mind the slander he takes. You know, what a bad foul, you know, like, you know, you got to do a better job of blocking uh-huh. shots, but, you know, it was a bad play, but, you know, he, I think he can bounce back. And a lot of the heat that the, yeah, it's a bad word. A lot of the criticism sorts of bucks are like, look, you got to play Giannis more. Like you can't just play him like low 30 minutes. These are must win games and he's on the bench a lot. And I know he had a few fouls, but. They got to play him more, and he's got to be more dominant on the defensive end. And they got to get out because when he's in transition, and they can do the euro step and spin move and whatnot. He's unstoppable, right? And if if they're in the half court, 
they can gear up on him. He just looks really bad, you know. So it's who knows. But I, yeah, I mean, go heat. I guess they look really good. Yeah, saying that like Giannis looks passive, and I think that they're getting him in spots that he shouldn't be in. Like you said, that yeah, their half, yeah. their half, their half court sets are not great when he's at the top of the key. Like, like yeah. yeah, I get it. Like if he's on a fast break, yes, run it, take care of the ball, do your do your euro steps, kick it out to, to shooters. I think that the, the change that needs to happen is that they need to have another ball handler bringing that ball up, and he needs to just get down low. Like, that's where he, he's he's better at. Like, he shouldn't be running the offense at the top of the key because they're just they're just leaving him open for a shot, and that's what they want you to do. And then if he if he drives, they're making a wall for him. And then, yeah, but and to your point about Dragic, I mean, the, the, the difference there already, even though Dragic was hot in the beginning, was that having Eric Bledsoe from Milwaukee was a lot better than having yeah. – George Hill, yeah. and um, I'm okay with Brook Lopez shooting threes. He's actually been <laughs> great threes at those corners. Like, if he's going to stay at the corner, if you're going to have a guy inside, let that be honest. You know, like, punish those guys inside. Get deep position. You have a bunch of shooters already there. He, like, we talk about, like, Dwight Howard and uh, playing with the Magic. You know, when he was with the Magic, they had um, one in and four out. Like, he needs to be the guy that's in and um, take that challenge. Like, especially if Bam's the one guarding Brook Lopez at the, at the three, like, let him go down low, punish guys like Jay Crowder and Jimmy Butler. He does these drop steps and he just drop step dunk. You know, like that, those those should be the things that he's doing instead of mid post up fadeaways, which he's prone to do, which are not helpful to the team. I, I don't mind also Brook Lopez hitting that three like when he's open, but I think in late game situations, when you have both of them out there and you have that type of size, yeah. you have no one on the low block. Everyone's out on the perimeter. Yeah. You know, all they have is Bam, and you have Brook Lopez out there with Giannis, and no one's down there, and you're just shooting up shots. There's no rebounder. To me, it's just like, man, like they're not being put in the best position to be successful, or at least to use the advantages that they clearly have over the Miami Heat team. Because Miami's just going to, they're using their advantages, you're not. And so, and I think that's been the difference. So, you know, I, I, I do think that they can bounce back, but I, I am. I'm concerned. What do you guys think? You guys switch your, you guys switching your picks at all? I know we said six and seven, so I mean we thought a long series anyway. Do you, oh, would you guys, man. if you had a chance to switch, or, are you jumping off, or are you staying with the Bucks? It's a good question. I'm gonna go. I just want to say, Budenholzer needs to make adjustments, right? And he's not known for that, right? And I think the the way they've played all year is what they shouldn't be doing, in a sense. We're like having Giannis be the primary ball handler. No, they should switch. Good. He's, he's good. good. He's good at times, good but then in, 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 in the half court set, though, they need, they, need to, they need to change that. But um, it's because Miami thrives on that. I think I think their defense is more of a problem than their offense. I think their defense, like they're supposed to have the best defense, like they just haven't looked like it. They look. They had some spurts where they looked better today, especially more towards the second half or even that last two minutes where they made that comeback. Yeah. But the defense needs to be better, and if they don't lock in there. I mean, the series it, will be over in five. It's better. So. Yeah, and I think to the point of like Giannis having a guard, Jimmy Butler. I guess he should take that mantle, like if if he wants to. But guys, but then I do think that Wesley Matthews is the better defender. Yeah, no, like, yeah, uh-huh. just be like some of the, our team doesn't well, work that way. Yeah, yeah, Wesley Matthews is the better defender, Jimmy Butler. But Middleton was guarding him in the first game, and Wesley Matthews at the times in the first game was great on Jimmy Butler, and that and they saw that, and he they put him on him today, and and he pretty much contained him, even though um, yeah, he's good. Butler made the free throws at the end. So, so what's your answer to that, Jose and Taylor? What's your answer? I'll, I'll, I need to think about it. But what, what do you what do you think? I'm sticking with the Bucks. I'm sticking with them. I think they're going to. I think there was something I saw. I could be totally wrong. They could get swept. I mean, I'm, you know, I told you I'm rooting yeah. for the Heat. I think the yeah. Bucks are still going to win in six or seven. I think they're going to win the table here. 
this loss was so hard though you know yeah. like this was one of those losses where it's like man that's a frustrating loss like that's a hard loss to 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 get back from i have more confidence but they were and, down i mean they were down yeah. big. and then that that foul call like they sort of got a lucky foul call yeah. too like i think emotionally like, the three, i think they yeah. can i think they can bounce yeah. back but i do have more confidence in actually the other series in the other yeah. in the top seed in the other series more so than this one i'm switching I think I'm going Miami in six. Okay. Uh, you you had the series going to seven, Jose. You had Bucks in seven, so yeah. you're switching that to six. I mean, we'll we'll keep our you know our predictions, obviously. But to me, I agree with you, Jose. I think um seeing Giannis dejected today, especially him sitting on the baseline today <laughs> and being all sad after that call, and Jimmy just like making it. There there is a I don't know. I think what Taylor said about what Harden has gone through. I think Giannis is going to go through that next. I think that's just going to be part of his journey. I just don't think he has kind of that mental strength to kind of overcome moments like this yet. He, he hasn't. Gets mad. It. Yeah, he gets mad. He's got like he gets mad sometimes, like or like just and, and he gets like, out of yeah. control. Like yeah, and, and, yeah. I don't think he knows how to, and he, like, he doesn't. He doesn't have the like the the jumper like other players to just like shoot over you and like do it himself in that kind of way. So he has to just kind of, yeah, but the other guys can't take two steps and I know and, uh, and dunk like crazy. They, 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 it's yeah, a watch. He, he, I feel like he can't take over a game like these other guys. I don't know. It, there's just something, there's well, it, something it's, not, it's more, it's more athleticism than play yeah, like actual like talent. Like, yeah, yeah. Even though he is talented, you know, like, yeah, d- and so, okay, so, Danny, you guys are leaving me on the, the the raft by myself here. You guys are jumping and leaving me here. Yeah, by I think I think that the Heat are going to get one of the next two games. I think the Bucks will get one, but I think once they're down three one, three zero, I think that's going to be hard for them. So I got the Heat in six. Yeah. I think as well. I agree with Jose. Okay. You had you had the you had uh, the Bucks in six. Are you changing that? Six. You thinking so, it goes to seven? Or are you going to keep it in six? Did did the Raptors go win six last year? Where they lost? Where they lost the first two? Was yeah. that how it happened last year? Yeah, they, it was six yeah. too. Yeah, back Giannis, backdoor sweep. I think it's Paul. I mean, they got it right. I mean, they really only have one. They can't really lose one more game. So, I think they'll win game three, and then I'll I'll wait to see what happens. I think I think it's hard to beat the Bucks three times in a row. That's just I mean, unless but, they're just frauds. So you're sticking with the Bucks, but you think it'll be? You still think it's going to be in six, or you think it'll be in seven? Like, I think once they get rolling, I think they're going to be tough. I think the Heat are going to. I think, it, I think I think they're going to get the steamroll going, and then once they start getting into their rhythm, if as long as they stay healthy, Bledsoe's there and all that stuff, and Matthews plays that defense he did today, they got to okay. play defense. If they play defense, I like I like their chances. You sound like you sound like Magic Johnson right now, stating that. <laughs> <Look, I'm not laughs> if this off. team plays well, they will win. <laughs> I'm not jumping off them, and I'm not jumping off the Raptors bandwagon either. All right. still, still so like you have, you're going to you're going to stick with your Bucks and six pick. You know, uh, Bucks, we're, we're worried about y'all. Y'all need to step up. You need to get into that rhythm. I mean, look, we all picked you all. We, I think all of us have the Bucks in our pool. We have all – I think all of us have the Bucks going to the finals. No, I have the Raptors. You have the Raptors. Me and Jose, yeah. I think, do. So we had that in our pool. So, you know, it's it's not for a lack of uh, not trying to believe in them. It's just they, they've let us down here, and, and we're going to try to – we're adjusting here based on what we've seen on the court. So Bucks got to step it up. All right, the, the other matchup here in the East that has taken us a little bit by surprise is the Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors. Guys, what's your thought on this series so far? We, I was concerned at, at points of like with Marcus Smart shooting and that, and he's been shooting great. And I'm concerned by the Raptors shooting. 
that's this is a team that normally shoots well from three, and they just kind of been struggling. But I'm not overly concerned about these two games after watching after watching the last game. I think the Raptors still have um, something, some adjustments to make, but I think they can come back and win the next game and hopefully win the series still. Yeah, the the first game was definitely really bad shooting on the Raptors' part. I do think in game two, the Raptors, I feel like we're we're there for, for most of the game. If it wasn't for Marcus Smart getting like really hot in that fourth quarter, hitting a bunch of threes and some calls that kind of went the other way, I think that the Raptors could have had that game. So I think it was there for them for the taking. But, you know, it, that just happens in basketball. Nick Nurse is a really smart coach. And even his comments after, I think the refs are going to pay more attention to that, where Jason Tatum got more calls than the entire Raptor team, right? So I think that that is, those are things that are likely going to sort of even out in terms of shooting, in terms of the calls. Uh, But all that to say, I I do think there are some things that the Raptors, I was a little disappointed with. And we talked about this also on our podcast, like the strength of their transition uh, points that that just has not been there, Mm -hmm. uh, them scoring in transition. And I think there's too many times where I've seen Siakam kind of try to force himself in iso ball. And we also talked about that. Like this is not, he's been a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah, it, this 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 team is just not meant to do that. They don't have that sort of star to go into isolation and you know those you know fadeaway jumpers, and and to see Siakam sort of do that and just come up short is frustrating. Um, and he has not been shooting well, so I, I want them to sort of get away from that and to kind of go back to what has made him successful. Uh, so hopefully we'll see that. Yeah, and, and I I don't want to say that everything here is the Raptors' fault. Uh, I want to give credit to the Boston Celtics. They've been playing really great basketball. Uh, Jason Tatum has been playing really well. And know, we, with, we said we said that in the last podcast, right, that yeah. Jason Tatum had to be the best player, and it seems like he, he has been. Mm-hmm. He's been, well, he's been. Has he been better than Kemba? Maybe. Yeah, Maybe. I think, he's I think so. But yeah, Kemba has know. come up big in moments. Kemba's I, been I, really good. Ke- Kemba's been good too, which is like – so for some reason it's surprising to me because maybe I haven't seen him. In, we haven't seen Kemba in playoffs, right? He's so it's, playing the Hornets. It's, it's, so. it's been it's been <laughs> tough, but yeah. But just the fact also he's going up against proven guys like Van Vliet and Lowry. So it is surprising, even though he is an all star and he's a great closer. But yeah, um, hopefully well, they can continue. Go ahead. One of the things, one of the things that I am impressed with Kemba that in some ways I haven't seen with other guys who are superstars is Kemba's not afraid of that moment, man towards the end there he's like all right like let me just take this guy one-on-one crossover let me pull up for this three and it's just been money Mm -hmm. so i'm really happy to see that out of kemba just like the aggressiveness that he has shown not shying away from that big moment he hit his kemba walker shot you know which is the cardiac kemba (laughs) shot yeah when he hit in yukon yeah i was like dang we're back to yukon days here Yeah. yeah but i think there's a there's a lineup change that nick nurse has to do and i think that if gasol keeps Keeps not playing well, I think, and Serge is playing well too. I think you have to go Serge at your starting lineup and play Serge more. Yeah, Sir, and Serge has been hitting the outside three really well. Um, and yeah, I think that that's a needed change. I don't have to change that. They just got to play him more. They got to pull the pull the hook more, and you know, let him maybe get the matchups he wants. The reality is, they just have to play better. I mean, the Celtics have been maybe the best team. They might be the best team right now, like the favorite to win it all. Yeah. Tatum and Brown and. Kemba, smart. I mean, yeah. they've just been fantastic. They've been sensational. And maybe they're just the best team. I mean, maybe like the Raptors are playing okay. I mean, the Raptors got to do a better job with turnovers. They had some bad turnovers late mm-hmm. too um, that really hurt them. But I do you think, feel like they're forcing things. Yeah. I don't know. 
But do you guys do you guys think that uh, more Gordon Hayward would have hurt this team? And because that would mean less less Mark Marcus Smart. Uh, you never know. Because I feel like just putting him in that starting lineup has just been like yeah. But if Smart goes over six, like you know tomorrow, <laughs> like you know what's you know That's obviously true. Smart like set some records. I mean he's unconscious. Look, Taylor, yeah. I don't appreciate you uh, giving us crap for Marcus Smart, but uh, Jordan Clarkson is uh, your hero on that end. <laughs> well, look, we we'll get into it later. If it wasn't for Gary Harris to come in and save the day, Jordan Clarkson would have been an American hero right now. So. That's true. And we, I want to say we do owe you. We do owe you a meal because uh, Michael Porter Jr. was outscored by Jordan Clarkson in the playoff series. Y'all so. laughed at me. That said I was stupid. I told y'all. <laughs> I told y'all. Jordan Clarkson is my guy, and he's a scorer. And then he was a. And honestly, if it wasn't for you know shutting him down, and you know. The Jazz, you know, they'd be playing the Clippers. So, <laughs> That's um, true. but I think if, if going back to the Celtics Raptors, the Celtics have just been really good. Like, and I think that would be my concern more so than like the Bucks Heat, where I feel like the Bucks can play better and at times have looked better. I don't know if the Raptors have looked better than the Celtics. I mean, they've had some stretches in game two where they had the lead and they look good, but I don't know, man. Maybe like Jason Teams, like a top 10 guy in the NBA right now. And, they can't stop him and Kemba and Brown together. Like that combo is just too good. So yeah. and maybe they're gonna be the and favorites because maybe maybe we're really underestimating this team. Yeah, like maybe maybe, maybe like, you just have two Laker fans. I hate the Celtics. Who knows? But you would say you're you're more you're more concerned for the Raptors than you would be for the Bucks, Taylor? What's your because I think for Jose yeah. and I, we're more concerned for the Bucks than the Raptors. You know, I'm not jumping off any bandwagon. I still think the Raptors can win. I still think the Bucks can win if they mm-hmm. play the way that they know they can play. But I think my main concern is that the Celtics might just be better than everyone gives them credit for. And I think we had this assumption of who the Celtics would be, and they're not that. They're just really good and like they're trouble. Like, and if they hit shots. And they keep playing that defense. I mean, good luck. I mean, no one's beating them. They still haven't lost yeah. yet. They're six and zero. I think we'll talk about this with the Lakers Rockets as far as if maybe it's just a bad matchup for for like a top a, a higher team. But like, yeah. But the Celtics have just proven that they they just they beat the Raptors. That's what they yeah. do. So maybe maybe you know maybe they're just a really bad matchup for them, and the Raptors could be a better team overall against other teams, you know, but maybe the Celtics are just their kryptonite. So we'll see. Oh, that's true. We're going to get a heat nuggets finals here. Uh, that's what, <laughs> that's what all, these, <laughs> all these crazy things that are happening. So uh, Taylor and Jose, you guys had the Raptors in six. I had the Raptors in seven. Uh, does it sound like we're all still sticking with the Raptors? Anyone changing? Maybe to seven, but uh... yeah, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that they can beat the Celtics four times in a row. Yeah, but they got to win game three, right? I mean, I guess without saying, I mean, the Bucks and the Raptors yeah. both have to win game three, but um, I do think they will. Um, just because, like, when you're down, it's just a different mentality. I think they'll come out strong and well coached. But the Celtics just might be better, and and or they might yeah. just be a better matchup, like yeah. Jose said. I think it's a good point. And if they are a better matchup, home court advantage is not going to help here, like in previous years. So it's like if a team is just better than the other team, it's going to show. So like yeah. you're going. That's why we saw a bunch of sweeps in the first round <laughs> on, the, on the east side. And isn't it weird that the Rocket series like the home team won every game? Like it's <laughs> yeah. just like felt like a real series. Like that was so weird. And like it didn't happen anywhere e- else. Everyone else, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, 
maybe those pumped in music like with the fans and stuff matters. So, so maybe this Absolutely. is where Nick Nick Nurse is gonna make his money. He, when are we gonna see like the triangle twos and like the boxing ones and, th- and th- yeah, <laughs> things man, like you, that? He's gotta throw thing. the kitchen sink at it. Tomorrow. Lowry's gotta be Coach better. Coach of the year, man. Coach of the year. Well, Lowry's gotta. If Lowry Lowry has to play better, then yeah. he's been fine. I mean, they need Lowry to play better, and they always and Siakam has to play a little bit better. But um, I, I think I think they'll, they'll do some things. They can still be good defensively. They just gotta defend a little better. All right, fellas. So the reason we are recording this podcast is to preview the Western Conference semifinals. They are finally set after two Game 7s that we saw in the West. We have the number one Los Angeles Lakers versus the number four Houston Rockets and the number two Los Angeles Clippers versus the number three Denver Nuggets. All right, let's start first with the number one seed LA Lakers versus the number four seed Houston Rockets. The Houston Rockets won the season series 2-1. to one. one of those wins came here in the bubble. Fellas, what do you think about this series? It's the series we've been anticipating. We got two Laker fans here versus a Rocket fan. What are you all thinking about this matchup? Let's hear the Rockets side first you know, <laughs> before we get to, to I'm just happy to be, just happy to be, to be like, here. Look, look, James Harden, greatest defender in the NBA. <laughs> well, well, first of all, look, he, he, we've talked about this, how he doesn't get any love for his defense, and he's been a defensive, like, he's been really good. He led the NBA in steals, and everyone just wants to be like, he doesn't play defense. And it's just narrative. You just say things so over and over again. Hey, Taylor, I agree with you. I, yeah. I, I've seen everyone everybody. on Twitter agrees with you tonight. He's Taylor. good. Just no, watch no, him play. He, Nobody watches he, him play. No, even before this, from what I've seen, like, he's in right spots. His rotations are good. So like they, they, I, I don't buy that. I don't buy the game. I think, the the, I, think, I think there was validity in the narrative before in like prior like seasons, five or six years ago. Yeah, yeah like, like I think the defense. Was... I think the defense is better. Well, yes, Shaq so. killed him on Shaq full, and he had some bad moments with that like Howard, you know, Harden year where they kind of like fell apart. <laughs> but look, Danny, I'm happy to be here. I'm hoping that the Lakers will be a better matchup, and it'll like reinvigorate them where they won't feel so much pressure, like. Hey, you can't lose to the OKC, and maybe they put so much pressure on themselves, they couldn't, you know, get it done in crunch time. And so here, maybe they'll be a little more mentally in a better space. And it's just a different team, right? And so hopefully, a different team will help the Rockets. But I'm I'm looking forward to it. Jose Jose and I were just talking about it last time LeBron and Harden met in the finals was or was in the finals when LeBron, you know, they crushed him and Harden was really bad. And so they get to West, go out again. Westbrook too. Westbrook too. Yeah. Westbrook wasn't as bad as Harden, I don't think. Westbrook Harden was, was really bad. Look, they got game game one here on Friday, and we're pumped up. We're ready to go. We got the whole Grand Floridian to ourselves now. All the teams are out. The Rockets aren't going anywhere. They're going to be by themselves, be the outcasts here, and see what they can do. I, I thought the OKC would provide an easier matchup, so I, I get why Houston is a threat. I think I, as a Laker fan, I, yeah, there's some things that I was encouraged by in the Laker in the Lakers Portland series. Their defense was really great. They contained great guards like McCollum and Lillard. A similar strategy is going to be used against Houston, and um, but it's just different. It's also it's different guards, right? Westbrook and Harden play differently. They're more north south than east west, like uh, Lillard and McCollum. Even though Harden's just a, a really big threat from from three, but they did a great job trapping and getting it out of those guys' hands, but because of the small ball of Houston, they have guys who could all shoot. So that, that's where the tough part is, right? And um, the Lakers don't have a great option against guarding Harden, so likely it's going to go to Danny Green, KCP, Caruso, and maybe even some Kyle Kuzma at times. Um, Robert Covington's going to probably have to be the one to guard LeBron, him, and Eric Gordon. Probably Tucker's going to have to guard AD. I think that, that matchup's going to be huge. 
I expect to see a lot of LeBron AD pick and rolls. What AD did that was great in the Portland series was pretty much get the whole Portland front court in foul trouble. I expect the same thing here. It's, it's going to be a good series. I think game one's going to be big because the Lakers coming off a huge break. They came off a huge break the last game too, the, in the last series too, and that's when their shooting was really bad. So if they're, if they're not shooting well in game one, then anyone can win that game. Houston can really take that game. And I think the seeding game was a frustrating game, right, because they played each other in a seeding game. And you would see AD get the ball around the top of the key, which is, like, not the place where you want AD to get the ball, like, right around the three-point line, and he'd have to break down the defense from there. Like, he needs to either – if he's going to do a post-up, it's got to be great low, low position, or it's got to be LeBron AD pick-and-rolls or movement, movement in other ways. But yeah, it's it's the matchups are all interesting to me because I don't I don't I, I don't know who LeBron's gonna guard. Is he gonna guard Eric Gordon? I think that would be the best matchup, or is he gonna just stick on Covington? But if the Lakers are missing shots and if they're missing free throws, it's gonna be it's gonna be a different series. Yeah, I, the Rockets were were two and one, like I said in the series. You know, I think that the Rockets scare me in a sense that even though the obvious thing is we're so much bigger than them. I think the formula to beat the Rockets is to be is to do similarly to what we did to the Trailblazers. AD came up big, and we need AD to come up big here in this series. But I think when the Lakers have looked bad, <laughs> when they're put into like small ball, it has been by the Rockets. I feel like in some ways they're almost their kryptonite at times. So I remember when the season was was still happening pre-COVID. You know that that game where. Rockets came after making all the trades. They they played the Lakers and they beat us at Staples. They beat us at home with that small ball lineup. So it's definitely possible uh, for them to do that. So I think we can't. We have to play to our strengths. That that that's what it comes to. Specifically, the us having our size and using that. Uh, to your point, Jose, I think we would obviously have would have wanted the Thunder in the second round, but the Rockets are going to be a good test for us. Um, you know, we're going to need KCP. Caruso and Danny Green to do a lot in terms of uh, guarding Harden and Westbrook. I think the two things that make me optimistic about this series is, is one, I don't know the status of Westbrook. Like, I just don't know how healthy he is. I think there was concerns and Westbrook's one of those guys that if he's not in a rhythm, he's, he's going to struggle. And so I don't think that Westbrook's quite there yet. So I think we're kind of catching them at an okay time. I also think that, what they just went through a seven game series that was grueling. I think that that might be, that might work to our advantage. Uh, the, the thing where I am worried for the Lakers is what Taylor mentioned earlier. The Rockets are no longer underdogs. They got over the series. That means that they can kind of breathe a little bit and they have nothing to lose. Everyone right now, based on what they just saw in the last series are picking the Lakers to win. Even in, in the last series where we were favorites, people were chirping about like the hey, the Blazers, they're gonna upset them, the number eight. So there was a there was fuel to LeBron to be like, hell no, like we're shutting that down. In this series, I'm worried about that. I'm worried that the Lakers are the favorites. I'm worried that the Rockets don't have that pressure on them and they're gonna play, play more free. And I think that's when the Rockets are really dangerous. So I, now that they've won the series, the pressure's off. I'm worried about a relaxed Houston Rockets team that doesn't have that pressure that can come in. And I don't know. What does, what does Jose always like to say? Like, no pressure. You know, like, they play <laughs> yeah. good. They got no pressure. <laughs> yeah, nothing to lose yeah. here. 
the Rockets got pressure. The Rock- yeah, the Rockets still have pressure. Westbrook and yeah. Harden still have to do stuff. Yeah, that, before Taylor goes, there's two things key key for me. Don't expect to see a lot of Javel McGee. For me, as a as, if you're playing start Frank Vogel, man, I I think Frank Vogel's gonna start him in the first game. But that if if it's not working, like just cut that away. Cut that off right away. Go to Kuzma already. That's probably going to be the best matchup. And can the Lakers play without fouling, right? Because they like to just rage and on Harden and things like that. And they don't have the, the depth to get their guards in foul trouble who are going to keep guarding Harden the whole time. I think they did a good job on McCollum and Lillard. But they just Harden's a different beast. You know, <laughs> he gets fouls like crazy. So what, 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 do you, what is your take on this, Taylor? I honestly have no idea like what Rockets team we're gonna get, right? And I think sometimes the Rockets are such a roller coaster. Even in games, you know, they'll go up ten and they'll be down five, you know, within like a six, you know, eight minute stretch because they, you know, they miss like eight threes in a row or something like that. I do think this is where the Lakers are really gonna miss Avery Bradley because I think his defense is would be really needed here. I think sometimes the media thinks like Lillard and McCollum are like the same as like Harden, like Westbrook and talent, and they're not. And they have never been close. Like Harden's way better than Lillard. And I think this idea that, hey, we can do these things against the Trailblazers, it's going to work here against the Rockets. It's just different. The Rockets play different. They do what the Blazers do, like infinitely better. And, you know, the reality is if they can get out, you know, push the pace, hit threes, it doesn't matter how big the Lakers are going to be. They're okay with Anthony Davis scoring 40 points a game if it means – that they're going to be trading twos for threes and they're going to be able to play at that pace. I think what, what the Rockets would be in trouble is if they keep missing shots and then they just keep pounding them and things like that. And I, and I actually think Covington and Tucker and all the switches that they do, Jeff Green and whatnot, will be a better matchup on Anthony Davis than what he saw in the Blazers series. And I think everyone's thinking, oh, they're so small and all that. But they're the number one ranked defense in the playoffs. They were absolutely fantastic against the Thunder just statistically. Um, they did really good against defending the three, although I know the Thunder weren't a great three-point shooting team either. But in the fourth quarter tonight, they were fantastic. I think they only made like three threes in that fourth quarter in the last minutes, and those they really helped to like lock it down and you know do that, and they, they get steals. And so if the Lakers are turning it over like they did in that game in the bubble and you know that Thursday night after the All-Star break, then that's when the Rockets will, will be dangerous. So the Lakers got to take care of the ball. They can't turn it over. Um, and I think it'll just be, hey, are we going to get a playoff LeBron where him and Anthony Davis are going to be in that pick and roll where it's unstoppable and defensively the Rockets aren't going to be able to do things they're going to do? Or are the Lakers going to try to get cute and try to just pound it to like Howard and McGee and Anthony Davis and not do what they, how they run their offense? And so they get discombobulated and the Rockets got them where you want you. You know, it's like, hey, we want you to pound the ball to Anthony Davis and play this style because – charges turnovers things like that something there's something like statistically like where you put it where the rockets think they have an advantage and you saw it they get a lot of steals and they get out covington tucker Harden. that's just what they do and so and the lakers are bad at taking taking care of the ball so that's the thing yeah they can't be careless yeah Yeah, they're they're careless at times i think the thunder were not a great matchup for the rockets mentally like one they play really hard and they're really good in crunch time some of the things that like you know the Rockets. So the Lakers, I don't know if they're as good in crunch time. Like they don't have the free throw shooting that's as good as the Thunder. And you know, Chris Paul, like they, their guards are better than the Lakers guards. 
So, you know, it's just going to be a different series for the Rockets. Can they adjust and adapt in time within that first or second game? I think one of the things that may have helped them was Westbrook getting three games where he was able to, you know, get a little bit of rust off. He was able to play in some of these big games. I'm hoping that will carry over where, you know, if we got Westbrook's first game because they swept the Thunder and he looked like he did that first or second game, (laughs) the Rockets, they'd be down 0-2, right? And so they need him to get to the pain and push pace, get, you know, get good looks for Gordon and Tucker and all these guys. Right. And so it should be fun. It'll be, you know, can the Lakers take care of the ball and can they do the things that they've done defensively, you know, to, and then can the Rockets hit threes and can they not turn over the ball? And I think it'll be, I don't think it'll be an easy series. I can't imagine the series going less than six games. I don't know. I mean, unless you guys think differently, I'm curious to think if you guys think this game's going less than, than six. Well, let's talk about that. Jose, what do you have this series? I have Lakers in six because I'm thinking that we lose the first game. Mm-hmm. So I, if, if, they, they, if they win the first game, then I have it in five, right? It just changes that way. But I think it's because of the layoff, getting a feel for Houston, I think, I have, uh, I think they're going to lose the first game on Friday. Hopefully they don't, but I have them in six. Yeah, I have the Lakers in six. I, I actually think they win the first game. I think they drop one of the second and third game. And I think we probably go up three, one and give one up and then close off. Um, so yeah, I, I think the Lakers, what I saw out of that Portland trailblazer uh, series, and it wasn't even like, you know, the last one where Dane was hurt. I just think for them to shut down that Portland offense, like the way they did, and it's just dominate. I think that they hit a switch that, you know, a lot of the fears that we had with like the shooting were there to start off and we're clear. Uh, but I think once they got into a rhythm and once LeBron kind of turned it into that next level, mm-hmm. it was just like, all right, cool. Like this is what, this is what we've been wanting to yeah. see. And I think they know that. And they're aware of that. I also think the Lakers know that the Rockets can beat them. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they're, they're going to be as, as chill about. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that they're, they're going to walk into this one, maybe as lack lackluster as they did with with lackluster effort as they did with uh, the trailblazers so um i have the lakers in six i think lebron has to pick a spots though because i think I, you don't want to you don't want to get into a three-point battle with with this team because you know how lebron has a tendency like all right i'm gonna shoot this 40 footer i'm gonna yeah. shoot this like 36 footer he needs to just pick the spots and when he should do that because i think those are those are those shots if he misses them are going to get the rockets going Taylor, what do you have this series? <laughs> I remember like when they were playing the Trailblazers or they lost game one, everyone was like, they're going to lose, right? Lakers. And the media just like jumped on Lakers. They suck, especially how they looked in the bubble. Now everyone's going to be like, oh man, look how good they are. I think it's going to flip again. I think, I just think the Rockets are a bad matchup for Lakers. And I think there's an assumption of what the Rockets team's going to be after watching the Thunder. I think people don't realize that the Thunder are actually a good team. I think they think they're worse than they are. I think people think the Blazers are better than they were. They just weren't, and I think the Rockets are just going to be a different animal. I think the Warriors in the last few years have prepared them for this moment where they're not as good as last year's or the year before Warriors. I think the Rockets are going to just come together. I think they're going to be captivated. They're going to be in the Floridian all by themselves, talking about all this stuff. I think they're motivated. I think Rockets in six, and I think it's going to be a really frustrating for Laker fans to be like, it's going to be all the same stuff. Like, hey, we can't hit shots. Hey, we're turning it over. Anthony Davis scored 45 points and we still lost by 10. Like, I think we're going to get some of that stuff. And maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> but I just feel like, I just don't know if the Lakers, 
I think that was fool's gold against the Blazers. So we'll, we'll see. see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Wait, so what's the series? Even though you're crazy. Rockets and six. Rockets, I think Rockets and six. six. Yeah, and then honestly, the Lakers will be lucky to get two. That's what I think. I think they'll be lucky to get to. Good grief. <laughs> Someone's on a high after tonight. <laughs> <laughs> this might be all the, you know, Someone was about even, to quit you the you podcast could, today. Couldn't even, couldn't even beat the Thunder. They did not impress me <laughs> Blazers. Defensively, they were very good. And LeBron, LeBron was very good. They, they impress you? The Lakers did not impress you after? No, they barely beat like a Carmelo-led, you know, game five game. And I just don't think Anthony Davis has it. Him and him They first. killed them the other two games. Yeah, I, think there's, had, I think the Lakers are half awake. In look, the Blazers. Y'all so. <laughs> yeah. made Damian Lillard the best like, player in the NBA. Taylor, like, I think, I think, I think you want to take it down a notch. You just barely won a game seven. <laughs> look, take you it down lost I the door tonight. Look, this is my Jordan Clarkson <laughs> prediction for this series. The Lakers will be lucky to win two games. That's all right, all well, let, well, let's hope it doesn't go the same way <laughs> that our you know, Jordan Clarkson look, thing went. I'll we're, say this. We're never going to live this down, Jose. If the Rockets lose, I'm saying no. I will not. Cop out of a podcast with you guys. I'll jump on that <laughs> Thank day. you. I'm not gonna just, you know, I'm not gonna chicken out like I was gonna do tonight. If the Rockets lose, you're gonna have a podcast solo here. So Nicholas, look, Harden, <laughs> if Harden has to play better, the Harden from tonight, like they they'll get swept. So he's got to play better. Hopefully, Lou Dort was just, you know, all those summers playing at ASU. In the, you know, he just he just knows him right, and he's just big. But we'll find out. You know, Westbrook if he gets better. I think it's just like the Lakers, man. Like it's been a while though. We haven't seen him play, so who knows? The other matchup in the West here is the number two Los Angeles Clippers versus the number three Denver Nuggets. Uh, that series starts on Thursday, September third, tomorrow at six p.m. The Clippers won this series two to one. One of these wins was also in the bubble uh, that came in the seeding games. Uh, that was a big game for for PG and Kawhi. Uh, they won 124-111. Uh, the Nuggets were actually winning, but then the Clippers won in a 20-5 to run, and then Denver sat their starters in the fourth. So there, there's that to say about that game. In the first game, uh, Jokic did fantastic, um, averaging a double-double when they won, but PG didn't play in that game. And then the other game where the Clippers won, they you know just blew out the Nuggets at Staples Center, 132-103. to the Clippers won the season series 2-1, but hey, the Denver Nuggets are, you know, high off of winning their own game 7. What do you all think about this series? I think um it's 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 on Jokic, I think. Like for Denver to have a chance, he's got to be better than he was against Utah even though he was great at times, but he has to average at least like 25 points per game. Like he's the clear mismatch for them, right? I mean, Zubac is a pretty good defender, but he's not going up against Rudy Gobert anymore. And they're going to send switches. They're going to send doubles on him. But he's got to play well. But I don't think they're going to have – I don't think they have the horses against this Clipper team. Do but, we think that the Nuggets are better than the Mavs? Like, like, do we think they'll give them a better chance? Like, it's hard to know, right? Because we thought well, Luke was – Are we going Are we going Mavs without Kristaps? <laughs> well, I mean, with, yeah, I guess in a sense. I mean, yeah, obviously they win those games. But, like, part of me is like – is this team that much different than the than the maps? Like, you know, I, think, I, think the Nuggets, I think the Nuggets yeah. are better. I think the so Nuggets you, so you are better a little than bit the better. Maps. Yeah, without Kristaps for sure. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> with Kristaps, yeah. even with Kristaps, yeah, with or without Kristaps, I think the Nuggets are better. I think the Nuggets may be a little, a little bit better. I think the best player is Luca. Oh, for sure. I don't think no one's yeah. arguing that. Oh, you yeah. think he, you think he's better than Murray? He's been better than Murray. 
Luca? I don't know. I don't know if he's been playing better than Jamal Murray. No, it's just more so like control of the game wise, because like, like Oh, oh, is he yeah, better? Luca Luca yeah. just got yeah. to where he wanted against the Clippers. Yeah. But Murray can he can get they can just run that yeah. pick and roll. Yeah. Gonna, I mean they have the pick and roll defense for the Clippers is not good. But that's the, the that's the key difference. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna difference. be different. Like Jamal Murray is not gonna average he's averaging thirty one point six points per game in the in the in the he's average, series. Is he gonna average more? I mean like it's not it's not about averaging more. I think it's a consistency to keep yeah. that pace up. But I think the other thing even if he doesn't keep that up, I, I think to Jose's point, they need Jokic to step up because that's what Luka didn't well, have. Oh, of course. They need those two you guys know? to be good. I mean, yeah. I, they need that two I, game, what, two what Denver games. does have for them, I think, is they have better guys to throw at Kawhi right. and PG than the Mavericks did, right? Mavericks have better <laughs> shooting. Let's just say that. Mavericks have great <laughs> shooting with Seth Curry, all the, and Tim Hardaway Jr., all these guys, but like having um, Torrey Craig, who, almost missed a, who did miss a layup, Torrey Craig, Jeremy they, Grant, they had Go ahead. Dorian Finney-Smith. I mean, they had some. They had. They, they just had, but they just have. Like, they just have more guys. I, they, they, I feel like the same team. I feel like the same team almost. I feel like it's more. And it, a guy who's been forgotten, who needs to show up, is Paul Millsap. And this is a better matchup sure. for him, I think. Like, I think he can, at spot minutes, he can guard Kawhi, and returning Gary Harris. We talked about him a little bit. He he did make an impact defensively, and yeah, I think he, he prevented did. he prevented Mitchell from getting the ball, which caused Royce O'Neal to have a call to call timeout, which they needed at the end of the game. You know, he's there, but he's gonna he's probably primarily gonna be the one that's called to guard a guy like PG. But the thing the thing with this Denver team and with, with a guy like Gary Harris, can they make shots? Right? Mm-hmm. Can they can they make shots when they double team Jokic or when they're when they're yeah. trapping on that high pick and roll? That Mavs team was a great shooting team, like but guys like. Jeremy Grant, who's actually been shooting well, but Torrey Craig, Gary Harris, they haven't been shooting well, you know? So, like, um, are they going to be able to to score with them? And Patrick Beverly is going to be back for this Clippers. Oh, is he? Is he? Is he yeah, doing that's what they said yeah, for, what saying, for yeah. game one. So, he was and so Luke, bad. He was so bad in game yeah. one. <laughs> like, yeah. Lou Will yeah. has, has been playing well. They're going to need more from PG, of course, right, who's, who, 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 who was better in game five, but he's been struggling. Montrezl Harrell has not been playing well. Right, he's averaged only nine points in in he's these playoffs. The so yeah, I mean, he didn't, yeah, he's got to get the rest off. But then Jokic has to kill these guys. With, with the, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think Jokic is the main key. I think to how long this series goes. I think with his size, his playmaking ability, his shooting, he really has the ability to cause headaches for like Zubac and some of their bigs. Um, especially, you know, what, what you saw him do in that game seven. That's what you need from him. That kind of thirty point fourteen rebound performance. And, you know, looking at how a playmaker like Luca was able to do things to this defense, I think the Nuggets do present problems. I think that Jokic can do that. And, you know, for most of the season, I think a lot of these guys were hitting shots. We've talked about this in, in other episodes, but just where the Nuggets guards are going to be, like, are they going to be kind of their health and are they going to be able to guard, really throw all their guys at, at Leonard? Because Kawhi is just going to, he's been a one-man show. I mean, he was he averaged thirty two point eight points, ten point two rebounds, five point two assists, two point three steals on fifty three point eight percent shooting last series, just unstoppable. And so you're going to have to just stop him in whatever way possible. I think the other key on the other side, as much as I, you know, talked about Jokic, I think it goes without saying, Paul George. I don't think the Clippers have anything to worry about with Kawhi, but if Paul George comes out and he's pandemic P. It's is going to be a long series. Like if he comes out and plays the way he did in Game Five and plays better, yeah. Like the Clippers do have 
a firepower that I don't think the Nuggets can keep up with. But I think if he's not there um, and he's going to be playing, you know, the way he did against the Mavs where like the Clippers are struggling to find like a second scorer and Lou will has to be in there on D and Lou will just has to be dropping buckets on offense and playing ISO ball. That's just not a good recipe for the Clippers. So um, I, I I'm excited to see this matchup. I'm really interested to see how it goes, but that's, that's my general take. I think a big thing is his history here. The Clippers have never, in all of their history, advanced to the <laughs> semi the, to the Western Conference Finals. Oh wow! So, um, you know, my hope is that that streak continues, <laughs> but we'll see. Any no, thoughts on that, Paul? No, look, I'll just say this: I don't think the Nuggets have played or looked better than the Mavs, even almost without Chris Stapps. And I just think it's a bad matchup. I don't. I think Kawhi Leonard is going to be able to do whatever he wants. He'll just be able to go wherever he wants. I don't think there's anyone who can stop him. And look, if Pandemic P shows up, I don't think it'll matter. He'll still play pretty good defense. He'll still be doing all right. I just think the Nuggets, man, they just they didn't look good in that game seven. I think the Jazz would have been a better matchup to maybe beat the Clippers. I'm almost and throwing that out because it was a game seven. Like game sevens, you just like yeah, man, like they just, just play so with tight sphincters. You know, I don't know. I was thinking that too. Like who who provides that's a better matchup? True. No, that's true, Danny. It's true. Like yeah. you can't, just, you can't yeah. correlate. Same thing with the Rockets. You can't just correlate and say hey. Yeah. I didn't. I don't know. I was thinking about that too. Is like whether Jazz. I think Danny. I think Danny and I early in the series were like Jazz is a better matchup. And then of course when Nuggets coming back, like no, yeah, I think Gobert. I think yeah, I think Gobert makes more, a difference. More tr- more trouble than Jokic yeah. in some ways. Of course on. But Gobert on defense, but Jokic yeah. on offense, you think that offsets or what? Well, I think he could just, you know, he can do the pick and roll. He can dunk. Like, he got so many easy dunks in some of those games. Like, yeah. And then defensively, obviously, he's a little bit stronger. I mean, I think for Jokic, obviously, he has to be a playmaker, right? Whether he's yeah. at the top of the key in the pick and roll. And obviously, they're not good. Do you guys feel I, like, do you feel like we, we, saw, we saw Jamal Murray take a big step here? Like, do you all feel like he's going to continue this? For yeah, this? of course. Him, Man, like him and I don't, Mitchell, I mean, like Tatum, I, I, I hope. Same guys. I hope he plays the same way. Like Taylor, I'm just saying this because uh, I bought Jose's uh, Michael Porter Jr. stock and it got me. (laughs) Hey, here's the thing, though. I think Jamal Murray is going to come down to earth. Hopefully he averages at least 25, but he is shooting 53% from the three-point line. And even despite despite all his misses in game seven. They're just in a gym. Like, this is what they do all summer. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, like, this is just what they do, right? I just, I don't know. I don't know. No, no. I think I tend to agree with, with Taylor because theoretically, the guys I mentioned, like Tory Craig, Jeremy Grant, even Paul Millsap, those those are good defenders, right? Like, those should be good defenders. No, and they've been the worst defensive yeah. team. Like, 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 those should be know. good defenders against yeah. Kawhi, they're, right? They're, like, no, they're the worst defensive team. They're, right? uh, they're allowing 120.3 points yeah. per game for 100 possessions, so yeah. they're the worst in the playoffs. Gary, Gary Harris will help a little yeah. bit, but, man, like if Conley played just a little bit better – yeah, you know, yesterday, like if Ingles actually played, like yeah, actually, or they like had did Bo- something, like or they had Bojan, like, yeah. like man, like the, no, I think Utah, Utah would have given if they had. Bo- oh yeah, yeah, they had Boyan Bogdanovich. I don't like the matchup for yeah. the Nuggets. I think that's a really bad matchup. So, I think I don't think they're better than the Mavs are right now. As and you know, the only thing I think that might, the only thing I want to predict is how many games it'll take for Marcus Morris to get his first flagrant foul. On Jamal Murray, I say game two. I hate, is when I hate the Clippers. Flagrant. I feel like they've become the one. I hate them so much. I can't believe he didn't get suspended. But I guess maybe like he's, maybe he's overreact. Terrible. I don't know. He's terrible. Yeah. All right, what what are your predictions for this one, Jose? Or Taylor? Let's start with you. I'll go first. I'm the one that this is the series I think is there's no chance. I say Clippers in five, and I think the Nuggets are lucky to get one. 
Although Yikes. I said the, I said the Clippers would sweep them out, so what do I know? But you know, Luca doesn't hit that shot. It goes five. I think this game, the series goes five. I think Nuggets. They're just they're probably the worst team left in the bubble, in my opinion, in the playoffs, and I think it's going to show. So, so I I have um yeah I have some predictions. We talked about like these defenders. I think Kawhi will kill them. Like <laughs> like <laughs> I, I he's just I mean. These guys are supposed to be stronger than Finney Smith and maybe Kleba and have more length, but I think he still think he's going to get to any spot that he wants to get to. Um, I do think we're going to see the return of Michael Porter Jr. in this series. <laughs> Danny, okay. no, buy, no, buy, no, buy, no, buy, no, buy, don't buy don't back the stock. Buy back the stock. You're going to see two games where he's like, like Michael Porter you want to do Paul George? You want to do Paul George? I'm dumping uh, that mess. You know, <laughs> uh, but I think... <laughs> I have I, I have the Clippers in six, and it's closer to Clippers in five than Clippers in seven, right? It's Clippers in six, and Green. I think it's a I think it's gonna it might be a blowout in game one. Like this is this could be a tired Nuggets team, like the same way. Even though the Mavericks came back in game one, like the Clippers could just come out hot and like be up like twenty five to seven. I don't think the Nuggets will be able to catch up from there, but I'm hoping that they give them trouble, you know, because if. Taylor's prediction of the Houston beating the Lakers and that the Clippers, <laughs> if the Clippers win this one, me and Danny are going to have to jump ship to, to the Rockets. You're going to have to pick it between the Rockets and the Clippers. Up, you know, it's yeah. awful. We're quitting the podcast at that, at that point. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I am actually disagreeing with you all a little bit here. I don't, I don't oh, think, okay, I, I don't like, I don't like the Clippers. Uh, I don't like how the Clippers looked um, in the last series. And so I actually picked this one to go seven in my pool. I do think that there are more concerns. I think the way Kawhi Man, has are you still up. Pick the Clippers? Are you still picking Daddy, the Clippers? You, you better just Nuggets in seven. Relax. I had the Clippers in seven in my pool, but after seeing Kawhi, man, I've just, I mean, he's been phenomenal. Like there's no words like his mid game. He's just, so good and so i'm leaning towards clippers in six uh but i i think it's actually closer to clippers in seven not the other way so i think if so you think the nuggets will get two guaranteed yeah i think so that's fair i think so i I, I think first game (laughs) yeah just like i think so to get the first game i think i think it'll probably be i wouldn't be surprised if it's two one nuggets in the series i think they're more likely to get the second game well okay yeah, so I, I have the I have the Clippers in six or seven here. I'm gonna go with six, but I think I'm I lean towards seven as opposed to five, like you all do. Wait, did Jose say six too? He said six, but leaning to five. You sound crazy that you picked the same the same number of games. Like, come on, <laughs> Jose, do you want to change? You know what? I'll I'll pick no, the Clippers. Yeah, you were the one who was like, "Hey, you have concerns," seven. and then you picked I'll, the same thing that throw, Jose picked. I want to have some more hoots by here. I'll I'll, I'll pick the Clippers <laughs> in seven, Jose's in six, and Taylor, you're picking them in five. I want to yeah. pick him in three now after you said that. <laughs> uh, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we can't trust your judgment tonight, Taylor. You're on a high. You're on a high. Look, the Rockets are good Like when they want to be good, and then they're bad like when they're bad. But we'll see what happens. <laughs> are the Lakers good in crunch time? Tell me. like, How good are the Lakers in crunch time? Are they better good? Than you guys. Better than you guys. <laughs> but are they better than the Thunder? That's what I want to know. Well, not, 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 not as good as the Thunder, for sure. Not as good as the Thunder. Yeah, I think I. We, I think they have been. I mean, we beat a bunch of teams in crunch time. We beat the Mavs. We beat the Clippers in in, in crunch time this year. 
I think we're pretty good. Chris Paul's got to stay in the bubble and just like go to those Rockets games and Lakers and with his like LeBron jersey. You on. know what, Taylor? You know? We might we might be <laughs> we might be on a high too because I think you know I don't know if Jose can resonate with this, but it was our first taste of like playoff LeBron of just like taking control over a game. And it just felt so good to win a playoff series yeah, no, in years. And you're like, man, I don't I'm so happy this guy's I don't on even team. think we've fully seen it, Danny. I think there's yeah, another that, level. That's why we're so excited. I mean, that's why when you Look, talk Anthony about the Davis, Rockets, we've talked over here, this. Taylor talking about how the series is going to no, end up Jose, like, Jose, on. we've talked about this a few times. Anthony Davis is the key, right? Like, yeah. if Anthony Davis continues to elevate and he doesn't shy away, maybe like Harden did like tonight or some other things. Although, Harden, that block, it's better than like a 50-point game. Unbelievable, right? But if Anthony Davis shows up, Lakers will be in good shape. I think like, the question yeah. is, I don't, I don't know if he has it, right? I think that's what we'll find out. Go ahead. Not that Harden has it either. I, well, I think okay, we're going back to the Lakers. I think it's getting him in the best spots, right? You didn't see that many Anthony Davis post ups against Portland, even though he could probably do it. They're, they're not putting him in those positions. It's all like off cuts, back picks, like just at spots where he could just shoot or just dunk it. How, or, how would or, you or compare him to like Kevin Durant? Like you know, Kevin Durant, he had a really good series against the Rockets like the years before. Um, but the Rockets have experience guarding him, right? Like, do you feel like his game is similar? I mean, obviously he's bigger and stronger oh. in some areas. Oh, um, but he's not a good shooter, right? So, no. like, they can lay off him a little bit. But if he can block shots and he can just get those offensive rebound dunks and he gets everyone in foul trouble, yeah, that's kind of the hope. And he can do it. So, and he goes off sometimes where he's got like you know thirteen points in four or five minutes. So he's good. All right, fellas. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, man. It, it, we're excited that you know within the bubble. I think. Um, you know, there was concerns like, how is this going to feel? But the playoffs have been fantastic so far um, with everything, you know, that's been happening in this country. And I think the NBA has done a phenomenal job. So we're loving the NBA right now. It's been fantastic. And we're excited to see more of that. All right. So for the drafting section of our podcast, we are going to be drafting from the Phoenix Suns franchise. This was also a pod that we recorded earlier. So if you're wondering why... Um, we kind of hate on Devin Booker. <laughs> we kind of hate on the Suns. We just want to say, Paul, that, uh, here's our apology Paul Taylor, before you yeah. Taylor. No, Not on. me, guys. I stood up for you, Devin. We're just going to stood up for you, Devin. I drafted you. But Taylor, you want to admit that that was pre-bubble, right? It's pre-bubble, and I apologize to Devin Booker. He was <laughs> absolutely not what I said he was. So ignore everything I said. <laughs> but well, it, it was still fun. It was still fun. So we hope you guys enjoy it. So for some of you who have not been with us, we are. In the middle of a series called Drafting the Franchise, we are taking one team from the West, one team from the East, and we're alternating, and we are drafting players from their franchise. We are picking six players. Uh, we try to do the best we can to make it uh, you know, a working lineup, and then we draft one coach to lead our teams. We are choosing in a snake order, and every week we alternate the pick order. So tonight, I will have the first pick, Jose will have the second pick, and Taylor will have the third pick. So without further ado, we're going to jump right in. With the first pick, I am taking Steve Nash. He was with the Phoenix Suns for 10 seasons. He averaged 14.4 points per game, 9.4 assists, 3.1 rebounds. He's number one in franchise and three-pointers, assists, free throw percentage, assist percentage, and offensive win shares. He's number two in offensive rating, offensive box plus minus, number three in games, win shares, and value over replacement players. That's the only categories where he's top three, but he's in a number of other categories for the franchise. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's an eight-time All-Star. 
five-time assist champion, seven times All-NBA, and two-time MVP. For me, this was an easy pick, just him being the pioneer of the style of basketball that we're seeing currently in the NBA. I love his story. I love that he was not well-recruited at a high school. He played for a small college, um, and even when he was selected, there wasn't a big, there wasn't a lot of hype around him. And even when he got to the NBA, right, he didn't really start right from the get-go. He was traded back and forth. And it finally was when he decided to return back to the Suns in 2004, where him and D'Antoni proved to be kind of the matchup that set up the seven seconds or less style of playing. And immediately, Nash posted a career-high 11.5 assists per game in his first season back in Phoenix. And the Suns went from a 29-win team to a league-best 62 wins. Them inventing that seven or seconds or less offense, and then Nash spending the next few years in Phoenix putting them up uh, to be title contenders with incredible numbers, scoring, passing at an elite level, is a testament to why he's number one here. I think the Suns could have been even more dominant, but they played in a stacked Western Conference. I mean, you had Dirk Nowitzki and the Mavericks, Kobe and the Lakers, Tim Duncan and the Spurs. In fact, you know, we talked about this in our Spurs podcast. They would probably have a title if it wasn't for Robert Horry checking him into an announcer's table. You know, Nash was just um, a great player. He was MVP in 2005-2006. It it was sad that towards the end of his career, it did not end so well with a lot of the injuries. But I think just what the Suns were able to create in those seasons and just how basketball has sort of shifted into that style of play, I think says much about how important that team was just in terms of basketball um, and how it has changed over time. I think it was the right pick, Danny. Contrary to a lot of Phoenix Suns fans, I believe he is the number one Phoenix Sun over Charles Barkley. And you, you briefly mentioned it. This, this is his second stint with the Phoenix Suns. He was playing behind all-star guards like Jason Kidd and Kevin Johnson, and yet we're picking him first because of what he's done, winning two MVPs. I love efficiency, and we talk about 50-40-90 joining that club, and he was one of, he's one of nine guys to actually be a part of that club, and he actually did that five times. He actually has a big part of my heart, actually, uh, for two reasons. When my wife and I were dating and uh, we weren't talking for a little bit, Steve Nash got traded to the Lakers. And that kind of, uh, she sent this text message kind of talking about it with me. And that kind of rekindled us talking again. That led to us eventually getting married. So I'm pretty, pretty much a really big Steve, Na- Steve Nash fan. And I well, wanted to te- I'm glad it worked out for you guys better than it did for the Lakers. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to tell him this. Last year, we were in Hawaii. On our plane is Steve Nash. Steve Nash is on the plane. And you know, Taylor, I think you might know this, like you experience with this. You know, when you bring a stroller onto a plane, and when you come, you have to get it back, you have to wait. You wait like near the entranceway for the stroller. And the only two families waiting for strollers was my family and Steve Nash and his family. And we were right next to each other. And I wanted to say something, but I didn't want to come off as a fanboy and tell him, you're the reason why me and my wife were married. I was a big fan. But we just said hello, and we just went on our way. It would have been a better story if you would have done it, Jose. One of of the biggest regrets of my life right there, guys. But great pick, Danny. He, he might have appreciated you to letting him know. You never know. Uh, it might have been a little bit awkward, though. So you're probably best to avoid the awkwardness. Um, but that's that's so romantic to hear that. Danny, I'm surprised that you went with Steve Nash here. Not because he's the right pick, because he definitely is the right pick here. But because I think 
I'm just I'm curious. Did you think about Barkley at all? Like in terms of in terms of when you were thinking through this pick, did you feel like Nash is a better player than Barkley, or do you feel like Nash is just a better fit with just what he did in transforming the Suns? in that seven seconds or less offense under D'Antoni. Yeah, I, I think I wanted to go more with the history and more what he's meant to the NBA in terms of that style of play. I, I think for, for Charles, I think obviously he's a better player, and I think just who he is in terms of popularity is so much bigger now with him being on TNT and things like that. I would even say, you know, Charles Barkley did something that he didn't, which was take the team to the actual NBA Finals. I think for me, you also, what I mentioned, you have to give him credit for winning that back-to-back MVP. He was playing against a stacked Western Conference, and it was a Western Conference that was way more stacked than what Charles played in, in my opinion. So, Danny, so when you're thinking through this process and you're thinking Steve Nash, how did it differ when you were thinking through the heat with LeBron and with Wade? And why here you felt like it was okay (laughs) to go with Nash, but, you know, a couple weeks ago you were thinking, oh, no, I have to go with with LeBron, even though I think we're in a similar situation here where Barkley was just absolutely dominant with the Suns. So I'm just curious. Is it a lack of mentality? Yeah, I'm just curious if – in terms of if you think the difference between LeBron and Wade is just so much larger than the difference between Nash and Barkley from a talent standpoint, where the history of the multiple MVPs and the recency is 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 able to sell you over to Nash, or I'm just I'm just trying to figure out your drafting strategy here, Danny, because I don't feel like it's Taylor, very consistent. Look, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and believe this is not about Roy Hibbert and Rick Smith. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I think the difference is obviously both of them didn't play on the same team; they played in different teams. And so when I think about the Heat, Wade and LeBron being on the same team, to me, those title winning teams and the teams that went to the finals, to me, LeBron was a clear leader during those years. You're talking about possibly the greatest player ever. And I think the Heat had him at his absolute prime. He became LeBron with the Heat, like the LeBron we know now. So it was a transformation of who LeBron was and just at the pinnacle to me of who he was and being unstoppable. So I think with, with Charles, I think they only had him for four seasons. Obviously, I mean, Charles is probably going to go for sure top three because he did so much for them. For Steve Nash, he made everyone around him better, and he was the best player on those Suns teams. Also, the longevity, you know, I think you're, you're a big fan of that. I think on a week-to-week basis, honestly, I think the reason why I love this, I think every <laughs> your strategy almost has to change week by week depending on who we're drafting. And so I think sometimes definitely with some other teams I just had – it really is focusing on like, how can I get the best overall team? And I think other times it's just like taking who's best, you know, who's next up um, in terms of best ability. Honestly, I think every team is going to be different. It just depends. I I think when you have the greatest player of all time, I think it's hard to, or arguably the greatest player of all time, I think it's hard to pass him up. I think the only one that makes sense passing LeBron up is the Lakers. But I think even with the Lakers, (laughs) I would feel like LeBron probably would be, I don't know, top five, maybe, maybe. We'll see when we get there, but... Danny, you you made some good points. You talked a lot there. You made some good points. Uh, I didn't. You, they're very similar. They're both like in their prime with these teams for four years. But I, I feel like you articulated some of those points well, to where I, I can see where your thought process was. And I, I do agree. I do think Steve Nash is the first pick here. So it's a good, it's a solid pick. We all agree with you, Danny. And uh, even though Taylor is making you work for it, <laughs> I've never. I feel like the 
first pick, man. Whenever I have the first pick, I always get questioned. <laughs> Whenever you guys got it, it's like, yep, yeah, great job, no brainer. Let's move on. <laughs> if you have so Chicago, like, if you have Chicago Bulls and you draft Michael Jordan, you'll still get a hard time from Taylor. Somebody's <laughs> like, but why didn't you go with Pippen? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you just made the wrong pick with the Heat, and I wanted to just reinforce that here. And you made the right pick. So I'm glad that you that you sort of have grown in the way you think through the franchises here so where you can make the right pick. So Thanks, Taylor. Learning. Thanks, Taylor. All right, Jose. <laughs> Sorry for the long delay, man. We kept you waiting for a minute. But who do you have with your first pick? Yeah, you guys mentioned it. It's Sir Charles Barkley. He played four seasons, the Suns, and he won the MVP in his first season. He played 280 games with them, averaged 23.4 points per game, 11.5 rebounds per game, 4.4 assists, and a steal and a half. He's a, he's a two-time gold medalist. His stats just jump out at you. And like you guys are saying about Steve Nash and him comparing them, his stats are a lot better. He's obviously, I, I think he's a better overall player. He just doesn't have the longevity that Steve Nash has. And he's inducted into the, the Hall of Fame twice, one for his individual career and another for his being a part of the dream team. He made the second team All-NBA five times and the first team All-NBA five times as well. And he played in the finals against Jordan and everyone is losing to Jordan. He averaged 25.6 points on a 52% shooting, 12.2 rebounds a game and a career high 5.1 assists in his MVP season. And I think about uh, Charles Barkley, he always just outworked everybody. Certain NBA players are compared to him, like, like Blake Griffin and Zion Williamson, and that's a high standard for them to follow because Sir Charles was a great scorer. He was a tenacious rebounder, and he was also a good passer. Yeah, for a second pick, having an MVP on your team, it's great. You know, in it, He was traded from Philadelphia to the Suns, and on, in his first game with the Suns, he re- almost recorded a triple-double. He had 37 points, 21 rebounds, and 8 assists. Pretty good yeah. stats for your first game. So, Charles Barkley. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously we have the two MVPs going with the two first picks. So, I like that. I like that you went with Charles Barkley here. Obviously, from a talent standpoint, probably the most talented player to ever play for the Suns organization, just in terms of what he did in the playoffs in some of those games against the Bulls or in some of those other series, he was just absolutely fantastic. And he was just a ruthless competitor. I think some of the things I remember most about Charles Barkley is just getting the ball in the post and dribbling for 30 seconds, <laughs> backing someone down and then, you know, fall away, you know, make it and things like that. Uh, and he was just a great rebounder for someone of his size where he wasn't always the tallest outworked and whatnot. So he's a great player. It's a great pick. And he's just a great personality, maybe an all-time personality. I think he started off well here. Yeah, I think in terms of the quality that a player could have uh, for a team uh, within a small time frame, I think it, it's untouchable. He was only there for four years, but in all four years, he was an NBA All-Star. He was an All-NBA selection all four years. Uh, he won an NBA MVP and took him to the NBA Finals. As much as I love Shaq, sometimes I kind of don't like when they shoot uh, Charles down and they just use like, oh, you didn't win a title, blah, 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 blah. But I think it sucks because I think who he was as a basketball player, like he's so good. Even in those four years, he's number one in box plus minus, offensive box plus minus, winchers per 48, number two in points per game, rebounds per game, number four in triple doubles, number seven in steals. Like Charles just did everything on both sides of the ball. And so I think sometimes he's underappreciated. And I think it's, it's, it's this kind of dumb argument of like, he didn't have any rings. And it's like, man, but 
how many players have fallen victim to that just because they had Michael Jordan on the other side of that? And so I, I think that does, that's unfair to him. I, I get that that's a reality and that's kind of the world that it is. And But I think, yeah, I think in terms of him only being four years and taking them to the NBA finals. And, and I think when I think about those finals, it was close. It wasn't like Jordan ran away with it. Any of those games, um, if luck went the other way or if there was just a different bounce of a ball, I think the Phoenix Suns could have easily taken it. And, you know, again, credit to Michael and who he is, and that's why he's the GOAT. But, you know, I, I think sometimes uh, Charles Barkley, which is weird to say, is underappreciated. Yeah, and I think we're going to talk about these guys more, Charles Barkley and even our first pick, Steve Nash, whether in one of our drafts, the, the non-championship players draft, and we'll, we're going to talk about how these guys were great players but just had bad luck or – injuries or had to deal with Michael Jordan or had to deal with Kobe, had to deal with Duncan, you know? Okay, Taylor, with your first pick, who do you have? So one of the things that I liked about looking through the Suns was just seeing like, wow, they have a lot of good players, but they really haven't had any that much success. So no NBA championships the last eight to 10 years. I don't know if we'll draft any player, maybe one or two. So everyone that we're looking at, it's like the 90s. I don't know what you call the 2000s, uh, maybe the 80s and the 70s. And so I'm going to go with my first pick. I think I really wanted to get someone who can solidify the backcourt. So I'm going to go with Kevin Johnson with my first pick here. And I think there are a lot of really good guards on the Suns, but Kevin Johnson was the one I think was my favorite in terms of when he was traded from the Cavs and became a Sun. They made the playoffs every year he was there something that they hadn't really been doing before he was there. He was obviously had multiple all-stars. I think he had three or four all-stars. He was a member of the dream team too, which I didn't even (laughs) remember four time, all NBA second team. And just someone who scored a lot of points. Kevin Johnson had four seasons of 10 plus assists in a row. And because of that, I know I'm going to get someone who can score the basketball and also distribute the basketball. I'm also going to get a great leader a fantastic mayor, Calgrad. So I love that. I know his jersey's retired there. So he meant a lot to them. So I know I'm just getting an all-around fantastic individual, someone who really helped to solidify just a great playoff run with the Suns where they were really competitive and winning with Barkley, with you know Marley and Chambers and all these guys that came in and out of the team through trades or whatnot. Uh, I'm happy to draft him, and I think he'll be a good, good member of our backcourt here. You know, as a Cal alum, I don't know if you knew this, Taylor, but uh, he was a two-sport star um, growing up and in college. So he actually chose basketball over baseball um, in terms of becoming pro. Really talented, athletic dude. And immediately, you know, from his first moment in Phoenix, he was already averaging 20 points per game, 12.2 assists, and 1.7 steals. He was the first player in Suns history to average at least 10 assists per game, which is saying a lot. I think he was kind of the first guy kind of point guard like this that uh, the Phoenix Suns would have. And obviously they would go to a, they're going to go towards a great legacy of that here that we're going to see soon. And even with Nash, but he kind of set that bar. And I think amazingly enough to think about, it was just Johnson, Kevin Johnson with like Tom Chambers and Jeff Hornacek, not too many stars around him. He led the Suns to the Western conference finals in 88, 89. And, you know, obviously they faced magic and the Lakers and that's tough to do, uh, especially with, uh, a team that is more star-studded like the Lakers at the time. But it, he was somebody who who carried the team. He carried the team, and 
it was great that he finally broke through when in 1992 where he got some help and got Charles Barkley to go to the NBA Finals that year. Even before Barkley was there, um, in 88-89, Kevin Johnson was really carrying the Suns um, to be contenders. So I, I like the pick here. Yeah, Taylor, you mentioned it earlier that he was in four, four All-Stars. And I think if you look at his stats, I think four is too little. He should be in more All-Stars based on his stats. His 90.9 win shares ranked second in franchise history. And Danny, you mentioned it, that they in 88 and 89, they lost to the Lakers with Magic. But the following year, they came back and they actually beat the Lakers. Some saying that he actually outplayed Magic in that series. So that's mm-hmm. a great pick, Taylor. Yeah, and obviously, after you go through the MVPs with picks, I always try to go to the retired jerseys. So he has a retired jersey with the Suns. One of the knocks against him was he had a a memorable dunk against Hakeem Olajuwon that I'm trying to get out of my memory here. <laughs> but obviously, he could throw it down, and he was he's just a good player. So I wanted to go with him. I felt like from a franchise, from a longevity, from a talent standpoint, because I kept going back and forth between him and Jason Kidd, because I know Jason Kidd had a lot of those, you know, all-NBA, Mr. Triple-Double, and he was just maybe the best, or if not one of the best guards in the late 90s there. But I felt like Kevin Johnson had a more more long-term role where he fit more of the way I think through things. So the next pick, I'm actually going to pass on Kidd, even though I really Ooh. want to take that Cal backboard. Wow. I just feel like things... Back to yeah. back Cal backboard. I'm going pa- pa- I know from a talent standpoint, he might be better than Kevin Johnson, and I know... But I just feel like when I was thinking through Jason Kidd, I just didn't feel like he had enough history there. I felt like he really built it later with the Nets and with the, the Mavs. And so I really wanted to... I wanted to pass, and I'm going to take Amari here with my next pick. So I'm going with Amari Stoudemire. And in terms of bigs, when I was looking through some of the stats, because I remember when I was watching, I was really starting to, I just love watching basketball during this period. And Amari sort of just jumped out and was like, whoa, he's really, really good. And obviously he paired really well with that pick and roll with Steve Nash. But I didn't realize he had as many All-NBA seasons as he did. He had, you know, one first first team in all NBA and a couple second team, multiple five or six all-stars rookie of the year. He could absolutely throw down the basketball. I remember one dunk, I believe against Michael Olacandy on a Friday night against the Clippers. That was just amazing. One of those, I always like to throw it on YouTube every now and then just to remember it. And so I just felt from a talent standpoint, from a longevity, unfortunately he had some of the injury stuff later when he's with the Suns. And really when he left, things really fell apart. There were the beginning of falling apart there. And so I just really like Omari. So he's my next pick. Yeah, he's he's number two in PER, number two in win shares per 48 minutes, number three in defensive rebounds, total rebounds, offensive rebounds, number five in blocks, points per game, and win shares, and number six in points and defensive win shares. He was a great player. And I think one of the reasons, and I guess this speaks to Steve Nash and his ability I don't think there was another guy that benefited most playing next to Steven Ashton. Amari did. He put just monstrous numbers. He was kind of the best big guy that you could put up next to Steven Ash. I mean, he was just efficient at an elite level. Yeah, just one of the greatest offensive stretches the league has ever seen with that seven seconds or less offense and having both of them together. I don't know. I I think another sad situation is just how Amari's career kind of went like it went down really quickly with um, in 2010, him going to the New York Knicks and then injuries and not really having great support there. And then after that, just kind of spiraling down. 
I think he's still playing right now in Israel, uh, where he's kind of a star over there, so he's still playing um, and putting up some numbers. Yeah, and if he didn't have injuries, if he had more seasons with the, his production, I mean, he had a 26 points per game season, a 25.2 points per game season, we probably would have him higher, and he might have bumped Charles Barkley from the best power forward list in, in Suns history. You know, so it was, that's a surprising pick, Taylor, with Jason Kidd there. <laughs> it's kind of thrown me off a little bit trying to figure well, out for what you, to do now. Say. Yeah, it should be good for you. I know you took a really great power forward center type with Barkley, and now you have a couple guards here. You can go with the, the small forward. So there's a lot of things that you can do. The Suns have a lot of really good guards. I think there were times where they would play three to four guard lineups at some, you know, in some of these games. And so I felt like if I went two early guards here, I might miss out on some of the bigs that I want later. So that I wanted so part of it was more sh- strategy as well. Looks like someone's changing their strategy this time. <laughs> two, I, I'm surprised I passed Sound the two like guys. Sounded last week, Taylor. <laughs> oh no, I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> okay, Jose, who do you have with your second pick? So Taylor not picking Jason Kidd, the guy I've always that I thought was just going to fall to me was was Sean Marion, and with Kidd on the board, it's a tough choice. But I am still going to take Sean Marion, the Matrix. With Phoenix ranked, he is number six in games, number two in minutes played, number three in field goals made, number five in three-pointers, number two in total rebounds, number two in steals, number three in blocks, number four in points, and he ranks number one in total win shares. He played nine seasons for them, and he averaged 18.4 points per game, 10 rebounds, almost two steals, and a block and a half. That's pretty good. I love players who get steals and blocks. He was a four-time All-Star Two times he made third-team All-NBA, and he's widely regarded as one of the most versatile players in the league because of his athleticism. He would guard ones, twos, threes, and fours. And later on, when he was with the Mavericks, he was the primary defender against LeBron when they won the finals. And what's surprising to me, he's actually never been on an all-defensive team. So and I don't know if that's just a, maybe a team reputation with Phoenix not being known as a defensive team. But he was a great defensive player, you know, so um, I'm taking the Matrix. And I don't know if this is controversial, but I actually like Sean Marion ahead of Amari Stoudemire. No, I feel the same way. I think Sean Marion was a better player for the team. To your point, Jose, like, to average 1.4 blocks and 1.9 steals, he was number one of defensive rebounds. He was um, number one in defense, uh, number two in defensive win shares, number three in blocks and number four in steals per game, right? And so all of these speak to him having such a high effect on the defensive side of the ball. So you're right. I think these Suns being known for their offense, I think to ignore how good some of these players were on defense is a disservice. And one of the things that you notice about Sean Marion is when you look at some of his stats and and what he did, he literally – it was ridiculous – the impact he had on the floor like him being on the floor just made the team so much better it was at its maximum impact in terms of wind shares and in terms of its defensive rating when he was on the floor and so you know obviously this guy was never like in the nba mvp conversation but i think he was also an underappreciated player throughout all his time in phoenix and even when you think about him going to the Mavericks and winning a title. Like I think he was, you know, impactful there too. Just who his presence on the floor 
on the offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball. And so I think when I think of him, even when we think about the, the Phoenix Suns and the seven seconds or less, I know we often think about Amari and Nash, but I think Sean Marion, the matrix was, was the versatile piece that kind of kept that offense going. And so I think I would have picked Sean Marion over Amari, in my opinion. Yeah, Jose, I, I, I really, really like this pick, and I, I'm jealous that you took him. Yeah, it's a good pick. In terms of just likability, I feel like a lot of the Phoenix Suns fans look at Marion as maybe almost their first pick. They might take him one or two here, even before Barkley. And so he just meant so much to that team, and he was just really likable. And when you're just thinking through what he meant to that team, I would agree. I agree with what Danny said. I agree with what you said. I definitely thought about taking him. And so I think you, you made a good selection here. I think it's good that you picked him over Kid. I don't think Kid had the same impact, even though he had the talent. It's a solid pick. And I feel like Sean Marion, he's always so good at that offensive rebound or just always feels like his feet never hit the ground. Yeah. <laughs> he's just always faster than everyone else to go get that. So it's a good pick. He had, he had that funky shot, but, I mean, he, but still he was number five in three-pointers made, and he averaged close to 20 points a game for them. So That team gelled well together. They, I mean, Nash, Marion, Stoudemire, just all those guys, right? Even Joe Johnson. They just had such a great group, and they, they had a style, and they executed it, and they were just one of the most fun teams to watch. And unfortunately, they just could never get it done in the playoffs to win that championship. So with my second pick, you guys have made this a little bit more harder for me, but we are drafting the Phoenix Suns, so I think it's okay if we're super small. But I'm going to first take, Taylor took some Cal Bears and him being loyal to his alma mater. I'm going to do the same here. I'm going to be loyal to USC, and I'm going to take Paul Westfall with my second pick. He was with the team for six seasons, averaging 20.6 points per game, 5.2 assists, 1.6 steals, 2.2 rebounds. He's in the Hall of Fame. He was a five-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA. He's number three in PER, number four in offensive box plus minus, six in steals, seven in assists, eight in field goals, points, points per game, and value over replacement player. He was originally on the Boston Celtics. He actually won a title with them in 74. And then he was traded to the Suns in 75. And as soon as he arrived, I mean, he, he blossomed. Um, by his second year there, he was posting a career best 25.2 points per game. And most importantly, he led the team to the NBA Finals in 1976. And they faced off with his former team, the Boston Celtics. I actually did this. I watched game five um, in preparation for this. And it was a, tr- a triple overtime game. Um, sometimes people dub it the greatest game ever played, just how the high stakes that were involved in this game. And Westfall played a really uh, big role, hitting an and one to tie the game. Uh, he also stole the ball from Havlicek to put the Suns in position to win in the second overtime. So Westfall was hanging in there against, you know, the Boston Celtics. And, you know, sadly, they weren't able to to pull it off. But as we said, these teams, these Phoenix Suns, the franchise has only been to the finals twice. And the first person, the first star to lead them there was Paul Westfall. And obviously, he's an old school guy that maybe some of us will not remember. I think a lot of people remember him because he eventually came to coach the team later on. But in terms of who he was as a player, I think sometimes that can get lost. But he was the first player to lead them to the NBA Finals. And I think because of that, uh, he deserves to be uh, my next pick. Yeah, Danny, you give us the history of Paul Westfall. His numbers stand out. 
I didn't get to watch him that much. So, like, in my ranks, it, it seems that Walter Davis might have been a better pick at shooting guard, small forward, but you did your research. You watched. You actually watched Phoenix Suns games. Well, from listen, the, Jose, from I didn't watch the <laughs> <laughs> 1976 NBA Finals for nothing. <laughs> you did the research, Daddy, so I can't knock you for that one. So. I'll send it to you guys. That's really cool. It's a really cool game. Look, he's got his number retired, so it checks that box right there. And actually, I mean, Danny, he was coaching when they went to the finals, and he went to the finals in the 70s, too. So yeah, you're right. So he was, yeah, right. so he was, right he was part that. of both of those. So he has that history where, hey, he's coaching, too. So I think that just adds incentive to the pick. We're thinking, hey, get him as one of the, maybe the best coaches in Suns history and maybe one of the top five players in NBA. And not NBA, but Suns history. Yeah. I think, I think I like it. You know, obviously, you did some good research, better than me. And when you're, you know, when you're looking through what he did and what he did just as an NBA contributor, right, as a player, coach, and whatnot, I like it. So I like the pick. I think I think it's a good pick there. Yeah, yeah. I think you. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I think for him to be the the only person that you know has the two NBA Finals appearance as a coach and as a player is really cool. Okay, so with my next pick. I <laughs> I feel like I can't leave Jason Kidd on the board for you all. And I know I have Steven Ash already, but I, I can't. I can't leave Jason Kidd on the board. So I'm going to go with Jason Kidd. I'm going to take Kidd here with my third pick. Uh, we, we've kind of alluded to him all, already here. He averaged 14.4 points per game, 9.7 assists, 6.4 rebounds, and 2.1 steals during his five seasons with the Suns. Even though he was there for five seasons, he's number one in triple doubles, number one in assists per game, number two in steals per game, four in box plus minus, number five in assists, number eight in steals and defensive win shares. You know, there's only very few players that can move uh, to different teams like Jason Kidd has and make an impact. I think the only one that I can think about is LeBron, right, in terms of him being on the three teams that he has been on. Uh, but I think the other one is, is Jason Kidd he really established himself as one of the best point guards in the league right away. And it was, you know, distributing the ball. The Suns were a better team when Jason Kidd was on the court and his numbers speak for themselves. Uh, he made the NBA all-star team three times while he was with the Suns. He was also an all NBA first time player three times. And so the, his rise to prominence was when he played for the Phoenix Suns. Unfortunately, they only made it out of the first round once um, and they never made it to the Western Conference when he was there. So they decided that they were going to, you know, have a change. Um, and eventually, Jason Kidd went to the New Jersey Nets, and he was able to play in the finals twice. So he he did it on the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball, I think in terms of what he meant for the franchise, and I think just being the next talented player um, here on the list, I have to go with Kidd. Yeah, and he might be the best guard that the Suns have ever had from a talent standpoint. So I like, I like what you did there, and I like how you added how he just makes teams better wherever he goes. He gets there, and the team just transforms into a better group. He even did that at Cal. <laughs> they weren't very good at all. You know, he's setting records for steals and assists with the university. His freshman season, they're beating Duke their second season, things that just didn't happen before or not happening afterwards. And after those two years, he set a bunch of records. He obviously left and was drafted with the second pick there by the Mavs. And so... Jason Kidd is a fantastic player, just one of an all-time greats. And, you know, he's a, he, he can guard some of those bigger guys. He's not small. He's a good defender. So if you're building out your team and you have a lot of guards, you still have a pretty good defense there. So I think it's good. I was hoping he would slip to me, so I'm bummed. 
Yeah, he wouldn't have slipped to you. So. <laughs> <laughs> My strategy was that yeah, when I when I saw Jose's team, I was like, he can't have Marion Barkley and Jason. Yeah, like, no, it almost <laughs> nope, worked. Nope, nope. It almost worked, Danny. You're a smart guy. Um, but yeah, Jason Kidd. He only played four seasons there, but like, I mean, making three All Star teams while, while he's there, three All NBA first teams, and three All Defensive first teams while he's there. That's like you had to take him there at what what is that pick number seven I think for us right, and you're getting you're getting blonde haired Jason Kidd so that's pretty cool. <laughs> Good to know, yeah. Okay, Jose, who do you have with your third pick joining Barkley and the Matrix? Didn't have time to really recover from that Jason Kidd pick, but I need a guard, and I'm gonna pick Dennis Johnson. He only played three seasons for them, but he was a stud. 17.5 points per game, 4.4 assists, 4.7 rebounds, and almost a steal and a half. He's a five-time All-Star. He made the All-Star team in all his seasons with the Suns. I know that he's best known for his stints in Seattle and Boston. He was a finals MVP. but He's six-time first-team All-Defense, two-time second-team defense, one-time first-team All-NBA. I needed a good guard and defensive guard with Charles Barkley and Sean Marion, so I'm glad I can get him with my third pick. It's more of a reach because I needed a guard, and I know you guys probably think that there's Jose's better reacting there. to, or Jose's Sorry. reacting to our faces. Me and talk Taylor. it through. Yeah, yeah. T- just talk <laughs> it through. Maybe you'll don't really us. like it. <laughs> yeah. There could be. There's probably big men that are better that I should have drafted, but I mean, I have Charles Barkley and Sean Marion, so I needed. Jose, a guard. you just gave me a lecture on Walter Davis. How dare you? Yeah, like, why Why is he, I mean, like, I was looking at Walter Davis, someone that I'm probably going to take here with my next one or two picks, and you were just talking about how great he was, lecturing Danny, and then you went with Dennis Johnson. That was, you threw us Walter all for a curveball. Walter Davis had some issues off the court, you know, and respect the dead, Taylor. Respect Dennis Johnson, right? So, so sure. for Jose's sake, Taylor, how, was Dennis Johnson on your list? How far was he? No, he's not on my list. I would not have drafted him. He's not on my list. I would not have drafted him. Hey. But he went eight here. <laughs> Unconventional. <I> mean, <laughs> Unconventional. But according to Jose, he's like the number – yeah, he's the eighth best Suns player, according to Jose. You got to look at the stats, guys. Look at the stats. No, we are. We're looking at the stats. That's what we're doing. I can't, I can't wait for Jose to pick Shaq here next. Just focus no. on Guys, <laughs> it's, oh it's, it's coming up. I, I don't right, know well, Jose, you're leaving other guys on the board for us, so we can't complain. Taylor, I don't, I don't even know what to do here. <laughs> All right, Jose, uh, that was your third pick, Dennis Johnson. Taylor, you have Kevin Johnson and Amari. Who is your third pick? So there was one guy that I really wanted from a just a longevity standpoint. And so I'm going with Alvin Adams with my next pick here at the center position. Alvin Adams, most minutes played most rebounds. I believe he's second in most points, most games played. So I'm going with the guy after my own heart, someone who's really been with the group and with the team. And so I felt like, you know, I was going to go with him. I also feel like he was pretty well liked when I was looking him up. Retired Jersey. So that's important for me. Rookie of the year. He does have an all-star. There might be a few more talented players on the board, but if we're picking Dennis Johnson, I feel a lot more comfortable <laughs> picking Alvin Adams here. And I wanted to, I think I wanted two bigs that I liked from a longevity and talent standpoint. And I think he just has a likability just in terms of what he was when he was with the team and with the group there that I wanted to pick him next. Yeah, I think uh, 
you know, I, I like the pick, I think, just in terms of centers. I think to me, it was hard to find centers. But to get a center who played his whole career in Phoenix, 13 years, and averaged 14 points, seven rebounds, you know, four assists, 1.3 steals. When you look at just who he is in the franchise, and when you look at ranks one through four, he's number one in games, minutes played, offensive rebounds, total rebounds, steals, defensive win shares. Number two in field goals, defensive rebounds, points, three in assists, three in triple doubles, four in blocks, and four in win shares and value over replacement player. He was just a critical player in the history of the Suns franchise. He was just there uh, because of the longevity and because he really held it down at that center position. Uh, he got there when they went to the finals. That was his rookie year. Um, and then he played all the way until them playing the Lakers in that Western Conference final. And then he eventually retired. They were showing some of his career highlights. One of them was a triple-double that was just ridiculous. On February 2nd, 1977, he scored 47 points, 18 rebounds, and 12 assists, and five blocks. That's a ridiculous amount of statistics to put together. So you're just going to get a solid guy here who knows how to play the position and has the longevity you're looking for and the history, right, with his jersey retired. Yeah, if you want a guy who gets worse every year, you, you take Alvin <laughs> Adams. <laughs> Who peaks, who peaks in his rookie year of 19 points Jose's a game. Jose's just hating just now. Going downhill. Jose's just really mad about Dennis Johnson. It goes downhill from there. You guys hating on my Dennis Johnson pick. He makes one all-star team. All right? That's fair. In no, his rookie fair. year. It might be high. I mean, I think for me sometimes, too, I'm picking two picks here, right? When you, get the, when you have the first pick and the third pick, you know, sometimes the first and second, third and fourth picks are interchangeable. And so I wanted to make sure. This is a longevity this is a, a Suns pick. This might not be the most like talented. Suns pick before your preference. This is, this is my Rick Smith's pick here. Going here. So that's my guy, and I'm going with him. And I think the criticisms are warranted. But in terms of, I mean, obviously we didn't watch him. And I know that I love to say that every week. So Speak I wanted for to yourself. Get him. I watched him. I watched him today. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. So, he's a good player. Taylor's going to say that every week. We're going to go to the Bobcats, and, he, and he's going to be like, oh, I didn't watch this guy. Well, I think I, none of us even watch the Bobcats now. So, <laughs> so we're going to say the same thing. I haven't seen them. I don't know. <laughs> so, all right. So then with my next pick here, man, I feel like there's like three or four picks I can make that. And Danny's probably licking his chops over here too with what mm -hmm. he can get. But I'm going to go with Tom Chambers with my next pick. So I'm going to go a little bit big. I know Danny's going small. I'm going big here. I think getting Kevin Johnson – I think like I just got to pair him with Tom Chambers because that duo was fantastic. And if you look at some of Tom Chambers' stats, you're like, wait, he averaged 27 points a game when? <laughs> um, but he was just, he was really, they played really well together. Obviously, he's got the All-Stars. He's part of the group there that I believe they, his last year there was the finals with, with Barkley and Johnson and Marley and all those guys. And so I just like him. I just feel like I'm getting a talented player. You know, obviously I could have gone, there's a few other guys I could have gone here, but I felt like from a talent standpoint, I wanted to go with Chambers. Maybe to help if I bring Alvin Adams off the bench. I think what he is, is a, he's a pure shooter, right? Um, I know that he wasn't a strong defensive player, but I think that he was a great uh, scorer. And so I think with your team, um, I think that's someone that could serve you well. Yeah, I mean, 20.6 points per game, 6.6 .6 rebounds, 2.3 assists. He's number seven in points per game, number eight in defensive rebounds. He definitely played um, an instrumental role in that, that finals team. Um, and I think in making them uh, uh, competitive, I mean, he has a pair of all NBA selections. So it's not like this guy was just a, an add-on here. Like he was a really solid player that made the all NBA team. So 
Yeah, this is a better pick. pick. This is a better pick, Taylor. All right. <laughs> a lot better than the Alvin Adams. So. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. And I'm you know, I try to take all the bigs here so that way Jose couldn't have any. And Danny, you can't have any either. So I'm just trying to stock up. Although there's still there's still Jose, quite a few good bigs left. So Yeah, just just hold your breath. Don't apologize too soon. Jose might pick Stefan Marbury here. We'll see. We're shocked. <laughs> oh, oh, it's coming. It's coming. I'm all still right. waiting on uh, I'm still waiting Jose's Devin Booker pick. All right. You, you, oh, you I don't know. I don't know, guys. He's sitting there for a long time. I don't know who's gonna take him. <laughs> so you better hey, take him right now, Jose. Number who's gonna be your fourth pick, Jose? To my defense, I think with a team like Phoenix, there's actually a luxury in having those back-to-back picks that you guys have. You know, so like with me needing a guard, I needed to take a guard, so I, I drafted Dennis Johnson. So with my pick now, I need a big man, and this guy played all the positions, small forward, power forward, center, and I'm, I'm drafting him because I feel like the NBA didn't do him right, and he would have had better stats and better num- a lot more better numbers if the NBA allowed him to play. And I'm drafting Connie Hawkins. Prior to playing with the Suns in the NBA, he was an MVP in the ABA. For the Suns, he averaged 20.5 points per game, nine rebounds a game, 4.3 assists a game, and a steal. He was a four-time All-Star with the Suns. He's in the Hall of Fame, and he made an All-NBA first team. He, actually, he also played for the Globetrotters for four years because he was blackballed prior to coming into the NBA because, people, because he was part of this point-shaving incident. His numbers are great. His final game of his rookie season with the Suns, he had 44 points, 20 rebounds, eight assists, five steals, and five blocks. So Connie Hawkins is my pick. I was reading on the scandal just because I was really interested in it. Yeah, so it's unfortunate that he was banned from the NBA. And in many ways, he was banned kind of like at the prime of his career uh, when the merger happened. So even even with that, right, he, he almost averaged a double-double with 4.3 assists in the five seasons that he was able to play for the Suns. It sucks that at the end of the day, in 69, there was a lack of evidence, and then they they settled, you know, the lawsuit, and he was able to play with the Suns. But I think by that time, you know, he, he could have, I mean, his stats would have been so much better. And he still made, you know, all NBA first teams. Um, he still had a significant amount of win shares for uh, the Suns. And, you know, at least the Suns have recognized his contributions. His jersey is also retired, number 42. So I do like to pick here, Jose. Thanks, guys. It's a great pick. I, I think you could have easily picked him. I probably should have picked him too. If Danny would have picked him in the, the start of the third round, I don't think that w- I would have had much of an issue there. From just a talent standpoint, someone you know who his name is, retired jersey, of course. So um, I, I like the pick there. With my next pick, he is someone that I wasn't really thinking about picking when I when I started this process. But after reading and doing some research, I was just amazed of um, his contributions. And so with my next pick, I'm going to go with Larry Nance. Larry Nance played with the Suns for seven seasons before getting traded to Cleveland, and I think most of us remember him through his Cleveland days. But with the Suns, he averaged 17.3 points per game, 7.8 rebounds, 2.6 assists, 1.1 steals, and 1.9 blocks. He's number one in blocks per game. Uh, number one in blocks, number four in defensive win shares, defensive rebounds, total rebounds, offensive rebounds. He's number four, number six in value over replacement, seven in box plus minus, eight in win shares, number nine in PER, points, steals, and field goals. I mean, this guy was an athletic guy who was strong, and he was just, I mean, he always, he always brought it. I mean, he could dunk thunderously. He can play hard D, 
always gave it his all. He competed in the first ever dunk contests, and he beat some of the league's best athletes at the time, like Julius Irving and Ralph Sampson. He was just above the rim before it was kind of popular. Like he was doing it, and he was doing it tremendously well. And again, it wasn't necessarily just his him having hops, right? It was him contributing and being a scorer, and at the same time bringing it on the defensive side of the ball with almost averaging two blocks per game. When I think about Larry Nance and who he was to the Suns team, even, I mean, he went off and was better with the Cleveland Cavaliers, but him being who he was for the Suns, I think is, is a guy I want on my team. Yeah, it was a great pick, Danny. He's an excellent mid-range shooter, and you said it also, he's a talented inside player who could dunk, man. He won the, you, you said it, he won the NBA Slam Dunk Contest, the first one. He's the Hayatola of Slamola, was, that was his nickname, and he was traded for Kevin Johnson to, to Cleveland. And one thing I was just thinking about was all these, these Suns players and these other drafts that we've done, you see that good players are traded for good players. And it's like so different now in our NBA where it's like if you're a good player, you're traded for expiring contracts who aren't on the team again the next year. So it's like interesting how many of these Phoenix Suns players that are eventually traded for other people that we're eventually going to be talking about in our draft so Danny you needed a a big man so he's probably the best one available although Shaq is still available too so I don't want to preempt your next pick but I like it I like the pick I think you had to go big and he was definitely the best one available yeah I don't know there's much bigs left at all to be quite honest I think uh he might be playing center for me Uh, (laughs) because yeah I can't think of anyone But you know what? I'm going to take a big. I'm going to take a big here. And I don't know. Bender. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't thinking about picking him, but I think you're right. I I think I just need a big to round off my team. I think that there are better players than this guy, so I'll put that out there. Um, But I think there's a lot of players that I would want with my sixth pick. So just kind of knowing where I'm at positionally, I want to take a big now. And so I'm going to take Cliff Robinson. He was there for four seasons from 1997 to 2001. But in that short time span, he averaged 16.4 points per game, 4.6 rebounds, 2.6 assists, 1.2 steals, one block. With his first year with the team in 97-98, Robinson um, helped the team from a 500 team to 56 wins. They easily made it to the playoffs, even though they lost in the first round to the San Antonio Spurs. He really helped the franchise get better. In his four seasons there, he was putting in work in terms of scoring points. He never averaged below 13.5 points and um, averaged up to 16.9 points per game. Uh, he was there with Jason Kidd. And so Jason Kidd, like, he was a guy who benefited kind of like Amari with Nash, uh, with Jason Kidd running the offense. He was a talented scorer and he never hogged the ball. He was really a good passer. So even though he was older when he got to Phoenix, I think he was at age 34 during his final s- season in Phoenix. He still had a positive box plus minus for the team, which means that he had a really solid impact. I think we remember Cliff Robinson from his Portland years. But again, even when he got traded to Phoenix later on, he still was able to contribute. In fact, even after going to Detroit, he was able to play until he was 40 as a solid vet guy. So just a really good vet, good guy that I'll have on my team who can still contribute, who's going to you know, give me stats on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, who's a good passer. So I think he's the kind of big that I want for this team. So I'm going to go with Cliff Robinson with my fifth. He's definitely a good pick-and-pop candidate with Nash and Jason Kidd. 
I don't know if there are other bigs on the board, I'm, but, I mean, he's a good player. Obviously, we know him from his Portland years, like you said. And I love players who average a steal on the block. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's what he did. Danny, I think that was your fifth pick, though, right? Not your sixth? No, no. what I was saying is I wanted to get him with my fifth because I think there's a lot of guys I would take with my sixth. Oh, okay, okay. So uh, I, I care more about my sixth pick, so I want to have more flexibility there because I really don't know if there's any, to yeah, be quite definitely. honest, any more centers or big guys that I yeah, definitely yeah. would have gone with, you know? Yeah, that's a good, I, it's a good pick. I remember him from Portland. So I know when I – the Trailblazers were my team growing up when Drexler was there, and then I switched over to the Rockets when he got traded. So I remember Cliff Robinson. I also remember when, you know, Danny – he's got some cool – you know, reality type stuff, being a part of the survivor. I think he was also part of the envoy that went with Dennis Rodman in North Korea. I think I saw that on Wikipedia somewhere. I, I just want to he's, say that I love how like, to, I'm the stats guy and you're like these random facts <laughs> that nobody knows guy. Well, I liked him. I mean, I looked him up when we were doing this because I think he had an all de- He's a good defender. I mean, he's, he's a good shooter and he's got the headband. But I was like, oh yeah, he was on Survivor. I remember that. And then I did had no recollection of him going to North Korea. So when I read that, I thought, well, he's definitely got an interesting, <laughs> you know, last couple of years after he retired and whatnot. So I think it's a solid pick. I don't think there's a lot of bigs. So the way that the draft sort of fell, maybe there was a couple more talented players, but I don't know from the big and the way you're trying to build your team. So I like the way you're thinking that through. I think it's a solid pick. And, and, and a reminder, right? We're drafting guys, you know, obviously Shaq is, has the best issue, but we're drafting guys for when they play for the franchise. If our listeners this is for some, anyone listening. So I, I definitely don't want, Jason Kidd or Steve Nash running the ball and Shaq just sitting there in the middle, right? That's not something that I want. So, so yeah, I think Cliff fits perfectly with this team. Jose, your team is Charles Barkley, Sean Marion, Dennis Johnson, Connie Hawkins. Who is your fifth pick? Yeah, I think my team is pretty good on defense right now, and I need some more scoring. And it's the fifth pick. We're getting there. And I think my player is going to fit in well with this team and he finally be on a winning team. I'm taking Devin Booker. He's averaged 22.3 points per game, 3.6 rebounds per game, and 4.7 assists per game. He's gotten better every year. At his peak, 26.6 points per game. And, hey, he's their best player now, you know, and he's been holding it down for the franchise. I know that he gets knocked for his defense, but hopefully playing with these guys on my team will help him become a better defender. And I think he just needs to to have winning players playing with him. So, And hopefully – He's going to be there long term, and he's going to rise on these uh, standings for Phoenix Suns all-time greats. That big, hopefully, that if if he stays there, <laughs> I think he's going to be critical. And, and I and I think this is actually a testament to the Phoenix franchise. They have a lot of good players. Like I think I, I'm actually going to have a lot of players that might not go drafted here as I look at it. I, I want to applaud us because I think we waited long enough for the Devin Booker uh, pick. So I think this is a good spot for him. Um, you know, when I think about him, obviously, just one of the league's best scorers. I remember him dropping that 70 points in 2016-2017 season. I think it was 51 points in the second half against the Celtics. Um, but I think you're, you're worried Jose is right. Because <laughs> even him dropping 70 points, they still lost that game. And I think that's sort of been the problem, right? They haven't been able to get other good players around him and kind of to, to break out. Um, but I think in terms of his stats and you know, how young he's been in terms of these feats of scoring and, and hitting numbers. I think only LeBron James is the person to do it at a younger age, at a younger age than Booker. 
So, you know, I think he's, he's like the fourth youngest to 3,000 career points, the youngest to break 60 points, the third youngest to 4,000 career points, on and on and on. So he's a good offensively gifted player. But again, yeah, the defense is always an issue. And I think the big question of what his, what his future looks like um, on the Phoenix Suns, who unfortunately with management and some moves um, just kind of seem to be stuck, which is unfortunate given their, their rich history here. I mean the picks. The picks okay. I, there's something. There's something. It's more about Devin Booker. I feel like he's just not a winner. I don't know if I'm if I'm okay to say that. There's just certain guys when they get on teams, their teams get better, right? Luka Doncic. There's guys where same there's James so Harden. Much, Go ahead. Same James. No, Harden. but there's just so many guys where we try to give him the benefit of the doubt, and we go, man, look who he's played with. And then it's always like, well, he's not helping to elevate these individuals to win. And the Suns have just been so bad for so long. And they keep losing every year, and it's the same excuse every year. And probably, you know, some of that can be ownership and coaching and just the different changes. And obviously, he's an all-star. He's a, probably one of the top, you know, three to five scorers. He obviously has a great jump shot. He's a great shooter. But they just always lose with him, and I don't know why. And so when I, I was, you know, from a talent standpoint, he's obviously super talented. But it doesn't explain why they keep losing in my mind to where I wanted him on my team. So I just send one on my team because he doesn't win. So that's what, I don't know. That's that's my thought process. But from a talent standpoint, it's a good pick. I mean, obviously he's he's a, he's a really good player from a talent standpoint. And maybe if he's on a different group, he'll be better. But he's also not. I don't know if he takes that next step to get better. I mean, obviously some of it's the injury history. But he's not really joining these. Yeah. You know. NBA dream team, all-star type groups to get better in the offseason to be a part of a winning type culture. He's always got an excuse like, hey, I'm going to try to get better with my group. And then they're just awful the next year. And so I don't know, just from a mentality standpoint, if they'll ever be good. And I feel like for the Suns to take that next step as an organization, it's not going to be because of Booker. It's going to have to be because of someone else. Yeah, I and I mean, he just signed a five-year, $158 million contract where the whole thing is, is guaranteed, right? And so he signed until 23-24. So let me ask you all. So he's on the first year of a five-year contract. Do you all think he stays for the whole five years? Or do you think he's traded? What do you all think? So for me, what I was going to say earlier when you guys talked about whether he's on the team, for some reason, he wants to play with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. They're from the same draft. And he thinks that that's, that's going to be the big three to win. A title but i don't think he's there i hope he's there yeah so you don't think so you think he gets traded he pushes out it depends here's my thing this is my argument against taylor's side i know I, I think it's sort of fair that he doesn't add to winning culture but just that son's franchise like when you have a bunch of head coaches in the past five years and then when you draft dragon bender and josh jackson and DeAndre Ayton over Luka Doncic and all these other guys that they didn't draft, and you're stuck playing with these guys. I understand that he's not elevating these guys, but, like, I mean, Josh Jackson was in the D-League this whole year until recently with Memphis, you know. And Dragon Bender, I don't even know what team he's on. Like, their draft picks are not hitting. So, like... Yeah, I mean, should we keep going here? Like Alex Len, Kendall Marshall, Tyler Enos... <laughs> Uh, yeah, they, Jackson. Yeah, they're just absolutely yeah, he, missing on all these picks. No, I agree. I mean, I think ideally we would do a better job drafting. But Taylor, you think he's a yeah. he's a good score, bad? I mean, good stats, bad team guy. 
Well, I don't know if he's a bad team guy, but I don't. I, I think don't bad look team at guy him. in a sense that he doesn't make his team better. Not like I, bad I think teams. he's. I think he's a really good fantasy player and a really overrated, like superstar. If that makes sense. Like, I think he's, I don't. I, think I don't. I can't young. see. I can't see him being a part of a winning franchise. And I could I, be wrong. I, I, I just can't see it. You, Taylor, in a sense, I almost see him like Demarcus. Like he's going to be really good, but in terms of leading a team. I don't know. And and, I, and it's hard, right? Because DeMarcus was also on a really crappy team that made bad decisions, can't get out of their way. But you know, when I think about guys like Luca, and maybe it is the culture, but when I think about guys like Luca, it's not like Luca has, you know, amazing all-stars around him. I mean, they just got Perzingis, but even then, like, I think the way Luca has carried his team and made everyone better. I mean, maybe they just have a better culture, better coaching. I mean, maybe there's certain things that don't help Devin Booker to, to make the Suns relevant. And they got a little bit better this year. I mean, so in one still sense, in maybe again, yeah. So they're the still in the bubble. <laughs> Aiton is coming around. So obviously, that that there's some hope there for what the future yeah. could be. Yeah, I'm just, I'm actually, just I don't want to minimize that though. Like, what you're saying, I think you're right in terms of just uh, <laughs> decision. No, it's a tangent. Decision. Yeah. yeah. No, I just went on some random tangent yeah. there, Jose. He's definitely. Yeah. It's definitely not a bad pick here. And yeah. I just went on some tangent because. I guess I have an anti-Devin Booker bias. He's my Dwayne Wade, Danny. He's the, <laughs> he's your Dwayne Wade there. He's my, he's, that's, that's what he is for No, me. but I like this conversation. But I think the thing that does worry me, even, even as a franchise for the future, is that even when we're talking about it, right, all of us probably cannot answer with confidence that like, he'll yeah. still be there for the remainder of his contract. I think we just need to be patient. I mean, he's 23 years old, right? And I think with the right situation, we could see him kind of take that Bradley Beal type of leap. You know, like I, even though Bradley Beal is playing for a losing team. I think he has a better reputation than Devin Booker, but he's a lot older than him, I think, by like maybe three or four years. So just wait, wait till he gets some better players. We saw it a little bit this year with, with Rubio and Baines there. And I'm not even like a big Devin Booker fan. I'm just trying to look on the bright side with this guy. Well, Jose, that's, that's this true. Is, your team is the best situation Devin Booker's ever been in with Connie <laughs> Hawkins, Dennis Johnson, Sean Marion, and Charles Barkley. Taylor, who is your fifth pick? Yeah, no, I'm glad you picked him so I don't have to think about picking him. All right, so I there's there's two guys, and I, I think I'm going to round out well. So I'm going to go with Walter Davis with my next pick here. I'm, I think he should have been the sixth pick, but apparently he's dropping all the way down to here at pick 15 for me. So I think I'm getting a really good player, and I'm not sure why he wasn't picked till now, but six-time All-Star, Rookie of the Year. He's got that jersey retired, so you know I love that. And he spent the bulk, if not most of his career with the Suns, as just a really as just a really good player, right? And so I think from a longevity standpoint, from a talent standpoint, I'm just getting a really good, you know, guard forward type that can help to round out my team. Yeah, twenty point five points per game, four point four assists, one point four steals, three point two rebounds. He's number one in field goals and points, number two in games, number three in steals and defensive win shares. Number four in assists, number five value over replacement player, six-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA, and you talked about this, 77-78 Rookie of the Year. Uh, yeah, he was, um, as soon as he entered the league as a rookie, he was dropping 24.3 points per game, so he was an immediate scorer. He also was on the All-Star team and All-NBA second team. So even though he, he kind of, like Jose mentioned earlier with another guy, his points kind of declined over time, he still was a player that could put the ball in the basket. And he continued to do that for the rest of his career. And so when you look at his stats, they do pop out. Um, and I think one thing that is clear is he's one of the greatest scorers in franchise history. And I think that's why his jersey's retired. So I think in terms of the guys that are left in terms of accolades, he's, he's the next best one up. 
Yeah, he's up there in all of the Phoenix Suns, like, scoring records, you know, like, in points and things like that. I, I'm trying to wonder. I've never seen him play, but I wonder, like, because of, like, the fact that he could score a lot but didn't necessarily win, I wonder what his, like, NBA comp is now. You know, who, like, is he one of those, like, Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford kind of guys who can score? It's <laughs> <laughs> probably there you go. <laughs> I just don't know it. That's exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, I'm feeling on my team. I, I mean, Kevin Johnson, Adams, Davis are the top three scorers. Obviously, I'm going for longevity. Three of the top five most played games here with my team. And so I don't know how defensive-minded my team is, but we can score, and we have the longevity with the group. So with my last pick, I'm just really ecstatic to get Dan Marley here, Thunder Dan. And I think he's going to really round out the group. Probably the best defender I'll have as having those second-team All-NBA defensive seasons. I didn't realize he was a three-time All-Star. I looked at him more as a glue guy, someone who can defend, shoot the three-ball, and play really good basketball. But he has those All-Stars, and he has some of the best seasons that the Suns had. He was part of those groups with Chambers and Johnson, and so I have these guys all on my team. So I'm trying to blend them all together. And I'm just really happy to get him here with my last pick. Yeah, and, and you, you said it, you know, he was known as a um, bench player. And even as a bench player, he was still averaging 17.3 points per game at 5.9 rebounds. As your sixth guy or guy coming off the bench, the type of production he's going to give you is is excellent. You know, Thunder Dan is number five in steals, number six in offensive rebounds, number seven in defensive win shares, number eight in offensive win shares, and number nine in value over replacement player and number 10 in assistant points, right? So even that, even as a guy who, for the most part, came off the bench, um, he has so many marks in the career leaders um, on the franchise history. You know, he was just a big, big contributor um, and a popular, likable guy when he was in Phoenix. And so, so much so that his jersey was retired. And so that's just how well he was liked as, as a bench player. And so I think this is a fantastic pick um, for your sixth guy. He was a popular player for the Suns, but at first he wasn't, right? When he was drafted, fan, Suns fans were booing, were booing the pick. And Suns coach, Cotton Fitzsimmons, he, he chastised the Suns fans and told them, you'll be sorry you ever booed this guy. And they're right. Like, Dan Marley is a, a great Phoenix Sun. I mean, thinking about the movie White Men Can't Jump, that's probably because of him, you know? Because <laughs> this guy can dunk, he can do everything, <laughs> you know? So, um and it, it, and it was, a lot of that was because they traded Larry Nance. That's how they got the pick. And Larry Nance was a fan favorite. But in some ways, right, they got kind of a guy who played that similar Larry Nance role, right? Mm-hmm. Just a guy who's going to be tough, get points, leap high, dunk hard, play hard defense. So it, it worked out. So, Jose, who do you have with your sixth pick here? This is tough. I, I want to draft like four players here. Uh, my last pick. I think I need more excitement, and I need some offensive firepower still. I'm going to go with my gut. I'm going to draft Stephon Marbury. He played three seasons, like three or four seasons there. I mean, he, but he averaged 21.3 points per game for them, 8.1 assists per game, three rebounds, and a steal. He made the all-star team in 2003 with the team. He made the third-team All-NBA twice, you know. So... I get it. There's better point guards in Phoenix Suns history with Kidd, and he was traded for Kidd, right? With Kidd, Nash, Kevin Johnson, but he was in this in-between phase 
waiting for these guys like Amari Stoudemire and Sean Marion to come up, you know, so he had to lead these guys in their, in, um, their first years, but he was a dynamic player. He was a great scorer. I recently watched part of his documentary on Netflix. <laughs> Check it out guys. The Starberry documentary, you know, all of his brothers, it's just a great story. Like all of his brothers were, were basketball prodigies as well. And he was like one, the youngest one. And he is the only one that made it. And his whole, you see the scene with his whole family on draft night, just crying and bawling with all his brothers and his family because he made it. And um, even thinking about what he means to New York point guards, you know, he was heralded as the next New York point guard um, compared to New York greats like Mark Jackson and Kenny Anderson. And you watch that movie, I think with Spike Lee's He Got Game, right? With Ray Allen, part of the 96 draft with him, starring in that. That movie is pretty much about him. He's the kid from Coney Island, the, ne the next great New York guard. I know that I'm drafting him here, and he's not really known to be a Phoenix Sun. But, I mean, if I can get great seasons with my sixth pick, an all-star with my sixth pick, I'll take it. Yeah, I like it. And, I, you know... I had Starberries. I bought I bought a pair of those. They were very affordable shoes. I thought they were stylish. And so I had a pair of those. Obviously, he has the talented season. He's got the third-team All-NBA with the All-Star, and he was a really good player. If you watch some of those – I think he was in some – yeah, he was in the All-Star game, so you got to watch him play. He's, he was definitely someone that I was thinking about for my, for my last pick there. And so I think it's a solid, a solid choice. I think he made an NBL first team uh, with them. I think he was the bridge between the, the kid and the Nash eras in Phoenix. And obviously he was a big star. I don't, I don't think I like him here from a Phoenix Sun yeah. standpoint, to be honest. Um, even though he had his best years. And honestly, like, he was so talented. But everywhere he went, like, coaches and teammates just really didn't like him. I think probably his best years were in Phoenix. And then obviously, uh, like we said about Amari, once you go to New York, <laughs> to the Knicks, your kind of career just spirals down, and that's what happened also with him. And be careful, um, Danny. Be careful because you're losing your Chinese fan base because he's a Chinese <laughs> basketball legend. So he might be, and uh, and I'm happy for him. But you know, and here's I think it's a testament to the Phoenix Suns when I think about longevity or fan favorites. Um, I don't know if I would have gone with him. I, I mean, and, and again, it's not to discredit what he did. He's number two in minutes per game, four in assists you know, six in points per game, five in offensive box plus minus. But when I see other guys on here, which I'm going to have to choose between, uh, like Grant Hill or Goran Dragic or Jared Dudley or Dick Van Arsdale or Raja Bell or Leandro Barbosa, like, and, and I think who I'm going to pick, Jeff Hornacek, I just think that there are guys on the board uh, that have more longevity and we're probably – left more of an imprint uh, for the Phoenix Suns. And we can talk about some of these guys and what you all think after. But I think with my hand with six pick, I, it's a toss up between him and Barbosa, but I think I'm going to go with Jeff Hornacek uh, with my six pick. Uh, Jeff Hornacek was there. I know obviously we remember Hornacek from his Utah days, but he spent six seasons with the Suns from 86 to 92. He averaged 13.7 points per game, 3.7 rebounds, 5.4 assists, 1.5 steals. So just loaded in terms of stats. Um, but when you look at the franchise uh, career rankings, he's number five in offensive rating, number six in assists, number seven in steals, number eight in assists per game, number nine in triple doubles, and number 10 in minutes played. When he came um, 
to the Suns. He, again, he played there for six years, and he was a full-time starter, you know, halfway through that, and he always averaged double-digit points. He was named to the NBA All-Star team when he averaged 21 point points per game in his sixth season in 1992. He really played a fundamental role uh, on the team. Eventually, he was used as a trading piece to actually get Charles Barkley because that's how good Jeff Hornacek was. So when I think about his productivity, uh, what he meant to the franchise, um, I think I, I want to go with him here with my sixth pick. Uh, you know, similarly to Westfall, Hornacek came back and became uh, the Suns coach. He won the NBA Coach of the Month Award in December 2013. So he became kind of the first and only player to receive that honor, both as a player and a coach for the same team. So he, so I think that was really cool in terms of him, again, coming back to the franchise because he was so well-liked. I think, unfortunately, he got let go too early. I think it was unfair that they let him go the way they did. But I think with my sixth pick, just thinking about the franchise, I'm going to go with Jeff Hornacek. I think that's a, a real good pick, Danny. And you might, and if you get Jeff Hornacek as your head coach, you might be the only one with a six man as your head coach <laughs> for your team. But um, yeah, I like the pick. I, uh, when I was looking up Dan Marley's stats, right, he, they said he was a six man. I was like, why is Dan Marley not starting for the Phoenix Suns? And I'm like, well, he's playing behind Jeff Hornacek, and he was mm-hmm. a great free throw shooter, a great three point shooter, and he was actually a pretty good defender, and he was a good running mate in the backcourt with Kevin Johnson. So I like to pick. <laughs> I don't know. You got to let go too early. I don't know. He wasn't even above 500. Although the coaches after him have not no, been over. Wait, like, I'm not pitching my coach. No, no, no. I'm just saying like, you made that <laughs> comment. Like you made a comment. Hey, like I think they let him go. I mean, if you look at the coaches afterwards, they can't even hit. You have, like, he was playing, he was coaching the Suns. That's not fair. No, I, well, no that's, that's, but the Suns had had some winning series. Like, I mean, that's my had, Devin Booker argument guys. Yeah. You know, he, he, they, I mean, obviously they let him go. They haven't won 30% of their games since. Right. So yeah. Danny, not much to add here. I think it's a solid pick with your last pick the Suns decided to upgrade him for Charles Barkley. <laughs> so obviously they felt that, but when he was there, him, Chambers, and Kevin Johnson, that was a really good group. And they were going to the playoffs and they were doing well. I think they just couldn't get over that hump. And so he, unfortunately he just had to be part of the piece that brought them Barkley. But yeah, he definitely has the good seasons and I like the pick. So with coaches now, my first pick, man, there is this is interesting because I have two uh, former coach players on my team. I have Paul Westfall, <laughs> Jeff Hornacek that I can pick, but I'm gonna go with D'Antoni. I'm gonna go with Mike D'Antoni as my coach pick, and the reason for that is just the matchup of D'Antoni and Steve Nash. Uh, they made the Suns from 2004 to 2008 just kind of musty basketball. They won 253 games during the regular season and 26 in the playoffs. And so he's, he's third in regular season, season wins and second in playoff wins in franchise history. He won the 2004-2005 Coach of the Year Award with the Phoenix Suns. If it wasn't for that Robert Horry hip check, I really do think that they could have won the title. You know, D'Antoni has the second highest winning percentage for a Phoenix Sun coach. And so when I think about Steve Nash being on my team and leading my team. I think there's no better coach to do that alongside with him. And I'm sure Taylor will have nothing to say about D'Antoni. I'm super bummed. I wanted D'Antoni to run my team. I drafted all these <laughs> offensive players to play with D'Antoni. But I, uh, I'll, just, I'll just go with the next best available. So solid pick, Danny. I think he was the, the best coach there, Danny. Well, you know, Danny, he might not be the best coach, but he's probably the most iconic 
that I can think of, just the system that he brought, which obviously has had so much of an impact today. And yeah, I, I just, I'd like the pick it, because there might be like better coaches in terms of winning percentage or getting to the finals or playoff, you know, success. But I feel like Dan Tony's the guy when yeah. I think about Suns coaches. So in that sense, I think it's a good pick. I think, yeah, I think the, the, the other two guys that I think you all are going to go with are guys who actually did something that Dan Tony didn't do which was take the sense to the finals, right? So I, I hear that. No, I mean, D'Antoni is a trailblazer, you know. A lot of what we see in the NBA today is because of him, and he doesn't really get that much credit for it. Like, we attribute it to maybe the Golden State Warriors or Steve Kerr, you know, but a lot of the, a lot of the reason why we are having, we're seeing so many games with 100-plus points average for each team is because of D'Antoni and spacing and – I think when he when he was coaching the Lakers, he was getting so much flack for having Pau Gasol shoot threes. When in reality, Pau Gasol should have should have been shooting threes, you know. So, yeah, and he makes he makes good players better, and he makes even unknown players good. Like Jeremy Lin, you know, he's he's one of the reasons for Lin's sanity was Mike D'Antoni. So, he's great with guards, Danny. You have guards now. Are you going to take him when you do the when we do the Lakers draft? Is he going to be your coach for the Lakers? <laughs> Taylor, come on. <laughs> so you, can have him. Like, you can have him. I know we're being sarcastic here, but uh, when we, we'll see what happens when we get to the, the Houston Rockets. All right, guys, with my second pick for coaches, I'm taking the guy on Danny's team, Paul Westfall. He has the highest regular season winning percentage for the Suns, and he took them to the NBA Finals. And he only coached four years but it's a pretty good four years for him so i'll take him yeah again similar to we just said with the san antonio spurs but if it wasn't for michael and the chicago bulls yeah i I think they would have won but yeah just the winning percentage that westfall led the team with and you know how good that that 93 team was i think is often underappreciated because because of how dominant michael was and even the fact that you know charles barkley won the mvp i'm sure like michael does with everything took that personally and wasn't going to let that stand. But yeah, Paul Westfall did a fantastic job leading that team. And again, if it wasn't for, you know, Don Paxson hitting that game winning shot or just a few breaks that would have gone the other way, I think the Suns were right there. Um, And so we might be talking about Paul Westfall being the number one coach here with a title, but I think him being the second pick here is a good pick. Jose. I think we talked about it last week or in prior podcasts with the Pacers and talk talk about what ifs. But I think the Suns are a big what if team. You know, like what if there wasn't Michael? What if Ron Artest didn't put that tip in? You know, with Jason Richardson's after Jason Richardson hit a hit a three, and um, what if Robert Ory didn't hip check Steve Nash? You know, so they're that's a bummer that they're that they haven't really had that championship for them. So. Taylor, who do you have with your coach? <laughs> Danny, I'm still mad that you suggested that we should pick Raja Bell. That's just blasphemy that you would say that we would pick him. Bro, we'll, we'll talk about yeah. why. I know that's blasphemy. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you time. why. And I'll, still, yeah. still I was angry today as a Laker fan too. Yeah, we'll talk about it some more. I didn't, I, I didn't even bring that up when you drafted Hornacek or you were telling Jose. <laughs> um, all right, so I'm going to go with Con Fitzsimmons with my coach here. I just I like the coach of the year. I like the fact that he he went after the Suns fans to defend Dan Marley, which he was right about. And, you know, obviously, from a success standpoint, he's got a great winning percentage. 
over 600, you know, 600% winning percentage. So 600%, he wins 60% of his games. So they, you know, I'll, I'll get my math right there. He always, and he also coached in the seventies. So I, li- I like the titles that he win with that. <laughs> so I like that they brought him back. I like, you know, Hey, he could coach in the seventies, but he also could coach in the eighties, you know, early nineties. And he could coach in 96. So they're always just bringing Cotton Finn Simmons back in. So he can coach in any era. And I'm going with him. I know that John McLeod might have been the pick for a lot of individuals here just based on how long he was there and bringing them to the finals appearance. But I'm going with Cotton Finn Simmons. Yeah, I think I would have gone with uh, John McLeod. I, th- I think you're right. I think um, just because, again, he's the other coach that led him to the finals. And then he has the franchise record with 579 games. 37 wins in the playoffs and they made the playoffs nine times out of his 14 years with the franchise. So I might've gone with him, but that's okay for us to close off tonight. Just want to get a last, some last thoughts on your team. Uh, for me, I have Steve Nash, Westfall, Jason Kidd, Larry Nance, Cliff Robinson, and Jeff Hornacek. Uh, I think I'm going to have Nash at the one Jason Kidd at the two. Westfall at the three, uh, Hornacek at the four, and Cliff Robinson at the five. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Larry Nance at the four, and Cliff Robinson at the five, and Jeff Hornacek is going to come off the bench. And we are coached by Mike D'Antoni. I, I like my team's agility. I think they're going to be a quick team. I also appreciate that we have three really good passers with Nash, Westfall, and Kidd. And I think Larry Nance and Cliff Robinson are just going to get buckets uh, just getting the ball fed from these guys. And I also think these guys are all scorers and have some three-point shooting. This is Mike D'Antoni's Phoenix Suns dream here with with these types of players. So um, I like that Mike D'Antoni is going to be running his offense with this team. Defense might be lacking in the interior, Danny, but, I mean, great shooting, great passing from your guys. Like, even a guy like Jeff Hornacek could also pass really well too. So – I would just switch Robinson and Nance. I'd probably have Nance guard the fives instead of Clifford Robinson. But but overall, that's a good team. Yeah, I like your team. You got the best guards out of all of us, and so that's a, that's a pretty awesome team. Jose, you have Charles Barkley, Sean Marion, Dennis Johnson, Connie Hawkins, Devin Booker, Stefan Marbury, and they are coached by Paul Westfall. What do you make of your team? Yeah, I, I'm going to have Dennis Johnson as my point guard, Devin Booker as my two guard. Sean Marion, the Matrix as my small forward, and Charles Barkley and Connie Hawkins as my front court. Um, I, I like the versatility on my team, the interior scoring. And um, I think one thing it could lack is playmaking. So if it does lack that, I'll, add, I'll put Stefan Marbury in the game to give us some more playmaking. So. I think you have a lot of guys that could – I like your team in the sense that there's a lot of guys that could score the ball, uh, play make uh, for themselves. I think that's also my concern with your team, having Barkley, Booker, and Marbury. Just <laughs> all the ball gets passed around between those guys who might want the ball. But I think other than that, I, I really like I like the defensive side of the ball um, that your, your big guys at least bring. I think Connie Hawkins, Dennis Johnson, Sean Marion, and Barkley, those guys on the court are really long. Um, and I think they're good defensive players. So I like that. And like I said, all these guys can score the ball. They can, they can make their own shots. So in that sense, I, I like the team, and that would be my only worry. Devin Booker is making an all-defensive team <laughs> on my team. 
Jose, even um, it, guys. an imaginary team, I might find that impossible. You should just bring Booker off the bench and let Marbury start and then move Johnson to the this team. Is, I'm learning yeah. a lot about you, Jose. I didn't know how uh, pro Devin Booker you were until now. That might be smart, Taylor. I might do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dennis Johnson, I, I think we want to make sure that he, he's a good player, a really yeah, good player. Right. And his accolades are, are fantastic. And some of those accolades are not really on the Suns, I think is where, you know, our maybe our critique is. But he was definitely an all-defensive guy. So you're getting a great defender and pairing that with some of your other guys and with your team, especially getting Marion and Barkley with your first two picks. I think, I think you did well. Taylor... Your team is Kevin Johnson, Amari Stoudemire, Alvin Adams, Tom Chambers, Walter Davis, Dan Marley, and they are coached by Cotton Fitzsimmons. What do you make of your team? Yeah, it's a good balance group. I think most of my teams usually have good balance. Um, I, I'm going to go with, obviously, Amari. He's going to be my our center. Chambers is going to be the other forward. And then we're going to start Johnson at the one, Walter Davis at the two, and Marley at the three. So just going to go with the three guards there. And then we'll bring Alvin Adams off the be- the bench to spell Chambers or Stoudemire. I just think, you know, we got good scoring, good shooting. Okay, defensively, not maybe amazing there, but just a really good group of guys with good, rich history with the Suns, with a bunch of retired jerseys. And I think it's a, it's a pretty solid group. What players do you all felt that could have been drafted, we left out, Maybe if I can show, I can say mine, and you guys can say a little bit, and then if I miss any, we can talk about yours. What do you all think about Grant Hill? Five seasons, he was there. Who's you know not obviously the Grant Hill that was in Detroit, but Grant Hill that was productive. Any thoughts on him? I think in normal drafts, he would have made our teams, and uh, he went to the Suns. That's a good choice for him. The Suns were known as having the best training staff, you know, with all of his injuries. And I, I read an article saying that he solidified his Hall of Fame career by playing for the Suns, you know, with, with his production later in his career. He put up some pretty good stats still. And he, and he was with them when they went to the Western Conference Final. He, he definitely – I could have seen him being a late-round pick. I don't know if he was a must-pick guy. That's good. Okay. So, But I, I definitely wouldn't have so, – if someone would have picked him, I would have said that's fine. But I don't think – I think he's an okay – I think he's an okay omission here. Okay. How about Goran Dragic? 12.3 points per game, 4.5 assists, one steal, number 10 like- three-pointers, number nine in assist percentage. He was supposed to take over Steve Nash kind of as that point guard of the franchise, right, at some point. Yeah, but they drafted him to take over Steve Nash, not knowing that Steve Nash is going to play a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> so he, le- he leaves Phoenix and then comes back there when Steve Nash is finally gone. So, yeah, he was on my, then, he was on my list, he just, too. Uh, so. And then he's just in a situation where Eric Bledsoe and Isaiah Thomas <laughs> ate him and won him off the team. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm killing here as your point guard, but let's, get, let's trade for Eric Bledsoe and let's uh, trade for uh, Isaiah Thomas too. So. Yeah. So you guys think he's a good omission? What do you all think about him? Yeah, I don't think he's better than Marbury. I don't think he's better than Kidd or Johnson or Booker or Hornacek or Marley. And so there's just so many good guards, and he's one of them. But, you know, if you're a Phoenix Suns fan, I don't think you're – I don't think he's in the top, like, you know, eight to ten guards you're thinking about as all-timers. Okay, so I, I don't think he's a must-pick either. And I'm just going through these, yeah. just so Phoenix Suns, you know, if they're listening to this, we're, we're trying to cover as much guys that I had, maybe that could have, you know, resonated with some folks. I think it's 
interesting regarding the drafts, though, because with the Heat, we drafted Goran Dragic, right? He had a lot of good numbers for them, but his arguably his best season was with Phoenix, you know, and I think that just shows us how guard heavy the Phoenix Suns are. How about the ultimate glue guy, Jared Dudley? He was there for seven seasons. He is number eight in efficiency rating, number three and number eight in three pointers, number eight in offensive rating. Good guy off the bench, you know, ultimate glue guy, good teammate. That's another guy worth mentioning, but I think we all feel like that was an okay omission. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't on my board just because there's too many other guys that had better numbers and meant more. And this is probably one that we probably <laughs> – we always talk about we, we're always going to miss someone. I think this guy fits into that category. Dick Van Arsdale, I think he's the only one we didn't pick. That has his jersey retired. He was there for nine seasons, 68 to 77, and he dropped 17.6 points per game, 3.6 rebounds, 3.5 assists. He's number two in free throws, number three in offensive win shares, four in games, five in field goals and points, seven in win shares, eight in assists. People call him the original son because he was the kind of first – uh, Sun scorer, and he was another shooting guard who made the NBA All-Star team in three seasons for three seasons and kind of was their first kind of star. Any thoughts on him? I would say he'd be the one guy that we may have missed, and I think a lot of it is just the era that he played in more than anything. But of all the other guys that you've listed, they could have been picked, but here's one maybe we should have. If he would have played maybe in a later era, maybe we would have. Yeah, definitely. Another guy that stuck out to me, and the reason he stuck out to me was uh, the Phoenix Suns actual YouTube has a video called the Kobe Clothesline, and they celebrate Raja Bell clotheslining Kobe because they said that that was the that was the shift in the series that helped them overcome that three um, one series. They were down three one in that series, and they came back and won in seven games. Uh, but it's a whole video kind of celebrating that Kobe clothesline. So it made me mad, but when I thought about Raja Bell, just how he was a strong 3 and D guy, he led the league in three-point shooting uh, when he was there, and he made the, a two-time all-defensive team. And so when you think about Raja Bell, kind of like the Shane Battier pick we had a, a few um, podcasts ago, uh, he's someone that is going to play really good D, and he still averaged 13.4 points per game, 3.3 rounds, 2.4 assists. He's number six in three-pointers, number nine in minutes per game. I, I think it's a testament. I think he could have made it easily as it's probably the sixth choice for a lot of us, but I think it's a testament to the Suns franchise and who they have. The Suns have a lot of good offensive players in their history, so sometimes he doesn't fit in that standpoint where you're like, well, i am just got an all-offensive team, unless you want to maybe add him as off the bench. He, you know, he was similar to Bruce Bowen, some of these other guys, really good defender, can hit the three-pointer. Obviously, he's gritty. I just didn't, I mean, he's just not one of those guys where I thought, oh, I had to pick this guy. I don't even think he, if we did this, you know, a couple more rounds, I don't even know if he goes in the next six picks either. So Yeah, I also hate him, so. Yeah, I, to quote, <laughs> no to quote the great Kobe Bryant, he said regarding Roger Bell, I don't know this guy. I don't know this kid. He overreacts to stuff. I don't know him. Yeah, yeah the Raj- whole video was about how Kobe threw elbows, and I think, Kobe in one of the press conferences was like, maybe it wasn't because people didn't hug him enough when he was a kid. But I think when the Suns won game seven, Raja Bell's parents were in the locker room and they gave him a hug in front of Kobe. They were like, <laughs> what now? And I was like, dang it. It made me so mad as a Laker fan. <laughs> it was good. But yeah, I was, I was really upset about that. So, 
like putting salt in an open wound. Right? Raja, Raja Bell and Tim Thomas are on the do not draft list for later. Yeah. Yes. yes. We can't draft those guys. And then the last one here that I want to mention, and we can see if uh, you all want to cover any, Leandro Barbosa, the Brazilian blur, 11.7 points, 2.2 rebounds, 2.4 assists, number nine in games, three and three pointers, number seven in field goal percentage. A big reason why I have him here is I think he was an integral piece of the up-tempo offense that they ran. He played really well along Steve Nash. He put up solid point totals, especially in 2006, 2007, where he averaged 18.1 points per game, even when he just started 18 games that year. And he eventually was awarded the NBA Sixth Man of the Year. Really, during his time with the Suns, he always double—he always pretty much scored double digits uh, with them off the bench. And so he was a consistent player that they could rely on. And so I thought he was worth mentioning also with possibly a late-round pick here. Yeah, when I watched Leandro Barbosa when he was first— his first couple seasons of Phoenix, I was just amazed at how fast he was. He was so fast. And that was the best offense for him to play in. Even later when he was like on the, those Warriors teams, I would, I would still be surprised when he could take it to the hole uh, and be quick. It was amazing. Yeah, no, he's for him for sure. He's definitely one of those guys. I think the only guy for me that I thought about drafting was Joe Johnson as well. Mm. And I think he's... He's one of those guys where maybe his stats weren't, but it, he's definitely, I feel like he's got some likability from the fan base. Just, you know, he was just really clutch and he's part of that group. And obviously he got traded and, you know, some a lot of the all-stars come later. But I thought about Joe Johnson drafting him, but I just felt like with some of the guys left, I just wanted to go in another direction. But he's another guy that was on my list. There's several guys that I just didn't get to see play, but their numbers are really good. Like Charlie Scott, uh, he played in the 70s, and Paul Silas and Chuck Robinson were all guys that I saw had really good numbers for the Suns and actually played a good amount of seasons for them. But I just didn't know who they were. and So, yeah. So as we, as we close off this podcast, fellas, any last closing thoughts on the Phoenix Suns? Just a great draft. Lots of history, even though they lack that championship pedigree. Lots of great players all-time players for the Suns, and um, I like the balance on our teams. I don't think we really drafted more than one person within the last, like, 10 years, I feel like. <laughs> Maybe not 10 years, but it feels like that. And I think that's, that's sort of sad for that franchise in terms mm-hmm. of just how irrelevant they are and how relevant they were in the 90s and the 2000s to just being a franchise that's like, when you look at them on your schedule, you're thinking, oh, that's a win, Right. And so hopefully this year was the start of maybe moving forward. You know, Monty Williams is probably the best coach they've had there in a while. So hopefully they start getting better because they have some talent and they have some really good players. And if they can put it together, it could be a really fun team to watch. But they have not been fun to watch at all recently. And the fact that we haven't, in most of our drafts, we seem to gravitate towards those recent guys. And we didn't do it once here, really, outside of Devin Booker, I think is... It's pretty sad. So hopefully they start to rebuild a new era here with some success. That's the hope. No, I, I, that compl- that thought really really resonates with me, Taylor, because I think you're right, right? Other than Devin Booker, there's not a guy that we really took that is even playing right now, right? Or even in the last five years. And so I, I think that, that that is unfortunate, right? Because it is such a rich history. And to see some of this history where the Phoenix Suns were contenders at different points, you know, even if it was the early 70s, 
um, the 80s, the 90s, uh, the 2010s with um, the, the 2000s, right? With the, the Nash era, the Charles Barkley era, the Westfall era, you know, or even with KJ um, in the 80s, like every decade, they seem to be able to still compete and to make it work. And I think this last decade has kind of been, um, we're still in the middle of it, right? Where it, it doesn't seem like they can find their bearings to compete at a high level, even to the point of making the playoffs. I also, though, I think on the flip side, even though that that is an unfortunate reality, and I do really hope that they kind of get their crap together, to be honest, I think the other cool part is, I think this is the first time with the franchises that we've drafted so far, where I've gone into the sixth pick, and I feel like there's five or six guys still on the board that I think would be good. Like, where it wouldn't be an overreach. Like, some of the guys I listed, like, I could feel like I could make an argument for at least three of those guys and be a really solid argument. And even if I didn't get those three, I think I could fill in other guys that I think would be respectable. And so I think that there were so many options. I, I, I don't know how you all feel, but I felt like I felt that when I was like on my third or fourth pick, it's like, man, should I jump the guns here soon? Because there's just such high quality guys here. Despite them not having that in the last few years, I think it speaks to their history and how rich it's been. It, it's kind of, it's, it's cool to see that from the positive side, but at the same time, it kind of makes the other reality um, unfortunate. Here's the hoping that Phoenix Suns franchise can get their act together you know, like, I mean, they did, we talked about their head coaches that they'd had. They had Igor Kokoskov on there. He was the head coach, like, last year. He was Luka Doncic's head coach in, for his national team, and they still didn't draft him. So I'm hoping that they they turn it around. I'm hoping that in, if we do this again in five years, Devin Booker won't be the only guy we draft in recent, in recent Suns history. Well said. The, probably the best guard draft we've done. They probably have the best guards. That I think, and I think you're right. Last round, all our guys were all stars, so that's it's not like we're drafting a bunch of Matt Bonners here. So I would agree with that. <laughs> By way, you mean you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, congratulations on uh, reestablishing your white guy at the sixth pick here today. Happy yeah, you're getting ha- back on track. Happy to oblige. <laughs> all right, fellas. Well, I really enjoyed drafting the Phoenix Suns with you all. So I appreciate you all making time to do this. Thank you to our listeners who are tuning in. Uh, We appreciate you all making time to to listen to us. If you have any questions, remarks, suggestions, please feel free to email us at withthefirstpickpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at withthefirstpickpodcast. We'd love to have you follow us on there. Also, if you do use uh, iTunes, we would love for you to leave a review for us. That that is really helpful, um, and we would appreciate that. Uh, But again, our our goal is to kind of continue to bring you all content and to improve as we move along. So any feedback would be appreciated. Thanks again for tuning in. And thank you again, fellas. I appreciate you all uh, being a part of this and uh, being here again. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Danny.